Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to yet another episode of the Fred Hampton in the Suite. It's good to be back. Uh, I missed you all. Wish it was under happier circumstances, but you know, uh, uh, sometimes you got to make your own happy, I guess. What a week. What a two-week period, though. What a centuries-long period. Um, What a life. What a world. But even for all the bullshit, I I still think it's pretty wonderful. But not what's going on right now in particular. Um, I, 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 I struggle to kind of even try to tackle this topic. Um, Everyone knows that uh, the biggest news that's going on right now is that a, uh, some would say centuries-long conflict in Israel and Palestine uh, and between those two populations has kind of exploded recently. But really, this is something that's been, it's been cooking for a long time particularly in the last 100 years. Um, I agree it's not a centuries-long conflict. I had some thoughts I wanted to put together to just kind of really articulate what I think this means uh, to sort of have a place to vent about the, uh, I guess, the amount of pain that this situation is causing and to just, just to kind of understand, to get kind of give people from myself included, just like a little bit of background as to how we got to this point to where, where a attack on a um, music festival is something that, was absolutely, uh, you could see it coming. If you had seen the way that uh, Israel has treated Palestinians throughout their occupation, throughout their entire sort of history in the territory, you can kind of see these things boiling over in the same way that you can see uh, how the United States' uh, presence in the Middle East and their tactics there would lead to more destabilization, more death and more destruction and nothing good. And, you know, as someone who was not super well-versed on the history and I'm still not super well-versed on the history, I wanted to sit down and try to figure out some things. Um, and so I say, let's just jump into this. I'm going to give a history. It's a longer, going to be a longer episode, but hopefully I can provide some context. Hopefully you can provide some context if you know more and call in. But I want to talk about why this sort of situation was not inevitable. How it really came to be. Where the blame lies, to be frank. um, And what we can do uh, moving forward. Where do we go from here, as uh, Solange would say? Uh, 
So let's just let's just get into this again. I'm not an expert in this. I'm gonna fuck up. I apologize, but let's let's just let's just dig in, okay? So I think that a lot of the times when people start to talk about uh, the conflict in Israel and between Israel and the Palestinians, uh, a lot of people try to paint it as a tale as old as time, a centuries long, sometimes millennium long conflict that is between two equal powers, some of who have had the upper hand on each other at one point or another in, in some point in history. But I think that kind of obfuscates the truth a bit. It would be like saying, you know, this thousands year long conflict, this millennia long conflict is like, uh, it's a bit like saying, I don't know, uh, trying to talk about colonialism and talking about how white people actually did have a claim to Africa because they were born in the Fertile Crescent at some point and came from Mesopotamia. And at one point, maybe they were black. Uh, I think it obfuscates too much because that's not really, it almost lends more credence to this, the current occupation in Israel. Um, the history is not that long. Sure, there have been conflicts before, but really, you know, thousands of years in the past, the Crusades, the fighting over the Holy Lands. Uh, but these, that's like saying, you know, whoever's bombing people today based on the fucking first or second crusade is out of their fucking mind. Right. And for as much of, for as much as so much of this violence is insane, there's a lot more, uh, the recent history better explains the reasons for the bombing more than trying to take it back millennia ago. Uh, Again, like I said, I'm not an expert, but I don't think it's a really centuries-long conflict. Again, I think that is something that's used to obfuscate the real history or the current history of how we got here. So I'll start with, um, let's talk uh, the Balfour Declaration, okay? Well, let's talk Zionism first. So in the 19th century, late 19th century, um, Jewish people are located mostly in Europe, but around the world. And one person comes up with this idea or starts to popularize this idea called Zionism. And the basic gist of Zionism is that it's an Israeli homeland. It's a Jewish homeland for a Jewish people. Jews and Jewish, well, Jewish people, uh, historically, have really had it rough. I anti-Semitism has been a a huge thing throughout their entire history. They've been subject of pogroms even before Hitler. Uh, they were the subject of uh, you know forced ex- exoduses. They were a, a minority group that was they were oppressed and they were uh, brutalized and kept out of certain professions. And there's a real history there as to uh, Jewish people being rejected and, and, uh, the prejudice against them. And I, I'm never going to downplay that. And so was the case too, 
in the 19th century to where uh, certain Jewish people started to come up with the idea of basically like, well, we have no home for us, right? There is no home for Jewish people. Everywhere we go, we're discriminated against. We deserve a home. Uh, the problem with Zionism is it's a nationalist ideology at its core, and it's a religious, in a way, fundamentalist ideology. It is saying that Jewish people deserve a home for Jewish people, the Jewish homeland for Jewish people. Well, uh, what happens to the other people who live in that homeland who are already there? And that's kind of where the conflict starts to to happen. Um, so we really, re things really start to heat up or really, I guess uh, the temperature starts to rise around 1917 was something called the Balfour Declaration. Now, the Balfour Declaration was from, at this time, Britain was still the, uh, kind of the big, the big, uh, the world leader as a country, I guess you could say, right? They had the biggest empire, uh, probably the most money, uh, a lot of sway, kind of where, uh, where, America is today. Uh, during the time in 1917, the land that was where the Palestinians are, Palestine. Now, I'm not, I'm a little confused on this because I think part of it was part of the Ottoman Empire. Part of it was under British rule. But the Balfour Declaration was a key document from the early 20th century, uh, which was a statement of British support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. And it's not very long. I will read basically the, the, the one sentence from this Balfour Declaration, which basically throws British support behind the idea of Zionism. That's what it did. And it, it goes like this. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use these best and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. So here you have... Uh, big government uh, doing the, uh, uh, you know, this big, powerful government basically saying they, they support the, the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Uh, one thing that this Balfour Declaration also acknowledges is that there are already people living in Palestine. Now, there are various people, um, mostly Arab people, who make up the vast majority of the population there. At the time that the Balfour Declaration was issued in 1917, about 6% of the people living in that area were Jewish. So only about 6% of the people living in Palestine in 1917 were Jewish. So again, this is one of the reasons why I don't like to look at this history as uh, a thousands of years long conflict the Jews were the overwhelming or Jewish people were the overwhelming minority in 
what is now Israel uh, as recently as 1917. Um, again, that doesn't mean they don't deserve rights or anything just because they're a religious minority there, but this was not a Jewish homeland. It was occupied by various uh, Arab peoples who, and this is according to a really good book. Um, let me pull it up here. This is by, I think it's Rashid Khalid. It's a hundred years of war in Palestine. I believe that's what it's called. Uh, I'll make sure I, 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 I leave the, uh, yeah. The hundred years war on Palestine by Rashid or Rashid Khalid Khalidi. Uh, so a lot of this information I'm getting from that book, but, uh, you know, there wasn't really a Palestinian national identity at that time, too. There were just people who lived there. Again, it was part of the the Ottoman Empire at the time. But all we really need to know about the Balfour Declaration is that the idea of Zionism was picking up steam among powerful nations, among Britain, at least. Uh, so when things really start to ramp up with this conflict, though, is uh now there were some some i think by like the end of the 1930s or so there was a significant push of jewish people moving to israel uh they were buying up farmlands they were starting to occupy territory there and i think by about 19 the 1930s i think they started to make up about like 20 percent of the population there but that being said, there's a growing sort of movement there. Uh, but the major conflicts don't really start until really post-World War II, for good reason. Uh, you know, what, what can you say about how terrible the Holocaust was without um, – that hasn't already been said. A uh, clear example of ethnic cleansing, a clear example of a, a, a attempt, a nearly successful attempt at genocide, right? We don't have to spend too much time on how bad the Holocaust was. I don't think anyone here needs convincing of that. But what occurred after the Holocaust was... It, and and look, reasonably so in some ways, uh, this idea that Jewish people were not safe anywhere and that Jewish people were, uh, you know, maybe there was something to the idea of a Jewish homeland for Jewish people, because, again, millions of them had just been killed in in gas chambers and by bullets for no other reason other than the fact that they were Jewish. Uh, and this is correct, uh, with, 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 um, what Phil is saying in the comments about the white paper and the Arab revolt, there were tensions already going on in Palestine at the time that, uh, before World War II ended. I would say that, again, I don't want to get too into that because frankly, I don't know too much about that. And, and also, uh, I don't think it, uh, put it this way, 
tensions began to rise more and more as more and more Jewish people started to move back or move to Israel. Uh, we won't spend too much time on it because again, there's more to see. There, there, there are a lot more people who can say it better than me. I really want to get to the post-World War II because this is where the power dynamics really begin to shift. In my opinion, at least. The, the, the power dynamics within the area that's traditionally known or the area that the Palestinians were living, that is today now Israel, really begin to shift after World War II, where uh, the U.S. throws its weight behind Israel. The U.N. begins to support the idea of a Jewish home state. And the tensions rise to such a point that the first major ethnic cleansing occurs in 1948 in Israel and Palestine, right? So in 1948, the Arab-Israeli war uh, broke out. And the year 1948 witnessed the declaration of the state of Israel. So now this is the actual state of Israel. Um, we won't get, again, bogged down in the particulars here. Just know that the Arab nations surrounding that area did not take too kindly to that, and for good reason, because there were already people living there. There were already uh, powers that controlled those areas. And now suddenly the state of Israel is coming into existence and declaring itself an Israeli state. Uh, again, the idea behind Zionism is a a Jewish state for Jewish people. This is not a state that is made for anyone else. It's made specifically for Jewish people. Uh, it's a nationalist ideology. So the Arab-Israeli war breaks out in 1948, and the conflict occurred as a result of conflicting national aspirations and territorial claims. And like I said, we won't get into the particulars, but just know that the this was the first, when, when people talk about the ethnic cleansings that have happened in Israel, this one is really the first big one um, against the Palestinians. The conflict triggered significant demographic changes in uh, what became known as the State of Israel uh, and throughout the Middle East. So around 700,000, uh, by some estimates, Palestinian Arabs were either expelled from their homes or fled in the area that became Israel. And they became refugees in what they recur to as the, uh, I, I believe it's the Nakba, which is, a, they, I guess, translates to the catastrophe. So 700,000 Palestinians who had been living there, suddenly gone. A similar number of Jews moved to Israel during the three years following the Arab-Israeli war, including about 260,000 from the surrounding Arab states. So Palestinians consider the Nakba a form of ethnic cleansing. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a movement of nearly a million people, 700,000 people being expelled from their homeland. 
for no fault of their own. Just gone. Uh, I don't know what else you call that. And as we talk about this later, once we talk about the order, once we get to the modern day and the order that Israel has given to Gaza, uh, the northern Gaza, the northern residents of Gaza to retreat to the south or to otherwise get out of there, I don't know how you don't call that an ethnic cleansing either. Right? It's it's a repeat of history in some ways, but we're I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves yet. Uh, But the events of 1948, this war had a profound and lasting impact on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the legacy of these events continues to shape the narratives of today. Um, I guess, well, we should also most definitely talk about the second ethnic cleansing, which occurred in 1967. So, the next sort of big event, and again, this is just an overview of things, right? The demographic changes is what we're really talking about. Because again, up until 1948, uh, you didn't have an Israel uh, Jewish majority living in that state. Uh, that occurred as a result of these ethnic cleansings. I'm just trying to give you some background as to why the conflict is getting so heated and why Palestinians are frankly pissed. Um, And then also why Hamas and things. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. So first major ethnic cleansing is 1948. The second one happens in 1967 over uh, June, June 5th to June 10th, which uh, is known as the six day war. And this was a conflict that was a key turning point in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the broader Middle East. Uh, the Six-Day War was triggered, again, by rising tensions between Israel and its neighboring Arab states. So particularly Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. There's a long, long history we can get into with why these tensions were rising. But what's important here is that in the Six-Day War, Uh, Israel launched a preemptive strike against all of its adversaries. That's why it only lasted six days. Because Israel, uh, becoming a superpower, like a a, a military force, uh, one thing that Israel has always invested heavily in is its military. Uh, Lots of reports of how they have, you know, all these U.S. people and diplomats and all these people being super impressed with their military. they struck first and decisively in the six day war and gained control of several territories as a direct result of this six day war, including the West bank, East Jerusalem, uh, the West bank, including East Jerusalem, the Gaza strip, the Golan Heights and the Sinai peninsula. So this significantly expanded Israel's territory in the region. And the occupation of Gaza and the West Bank has become, was really a big turning point in the conflict between Israel and Palestine, because Israel was suddenly, uh, began to establish settlements in these territories leading up to tensions and conflicts with the Palestinian population that was already occupying these territories. And today, 
continues to occupy these territories and continues in many of these territories to be the overwhelming uh, majority of the demographic population there. So the uh, why do they call the Six-Day War like the second ethnic cleansing here? Well, because, uh, again, a lot of Palestinians were displaced and uh, killed in the Six-Day War. And the exact number of Palestinian casualties during the Six-Day War, it, it varies very much depending on the source and who's estimating and all of that. But even the conservative estimates are saying several thousand Several thousands of Palestinians were killed during the conflict. And that includes both civilians and combatants. And I don't know what combatants would have been there in the Six-Day War. I guess members of the PLO at the time. But again, I don't know the history that well. All I know is that within the span of six days, uh, you have several thousand dead Palestinians. And as a, not even to count the dead Palestinians, you have the Palestinians who were displaced. And the estimates I've seen for that are that hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were either displaced from their homes or became refugees as a result of the war, the Six-Day War. So now, within the span of 20-ish years, 1948 to 1967, you have possibly a million plus Palestinians who are killed, displaced, or expelled from their homes. Um, that's in the, I mean, that's, that's recent history. Uh, that's going to cause people to hold grudges, to form grudges. Um, it's not a good look. And I guess the last the last thing to understand here, too, is that now Israel, as a result of the Six-Day War, has firm control. Well, firm control. They, they have control over the West Bank, over the Gaza Strip. So whatever Palestinians are still there in those areas, surprise. You live underneath a government that you did not choose, that actively expelled hundreds and thousands, perhaps millions of you, and now has uh, an extreme capacity for violence. And I mean that in the way that I mean a state has a capacity for violence. The United States, with its big old military, has an enormous capacity and ability to do violence. Israel's very much very much the same. I'm not even talking about the motivations behind it. I'm not even talking about uh, their willingness to use it, their itchy trigger fingers, which we will get to, I'm talking about the fact that they have a very big stick and you're at a significant risk of being whacked. Okay? That, so that's I think that's enough of the history until we move up to like the 2000s. There's plenty more we can talk about. There's plenty more that there's so much more I don't know. I would suggest people talk, you know, listen to, I'm sure Norm Finkelstein knows a lot about this. I'm sure um, 
I'll, I'll add some resources in the notes at the end of this uh, that you can look at to uh, kind of figure out other resources you can find on the goings on and the likes. But you basically have during the 1980s, the 19, well, pretty much the 1960s to the 1980s, the establishment of the, uh, the Palestine, Palestinian uh, Liberation uh, Organization. Uh, well, well, we'll get into that a little bit. Let's let me follow my notes and let's go to the 2000s a bit, just to give you an idea of where we're at more recently. Um, so 2005, there, there have been multiple attempts since the second uh, or the six day war, multiple resolutions to establish, you know, a two state solution, some kind of territorial uh, solution to this. Just know that pretty much all of them have been non-starters for Palestine and Palestinians because, uh, you know, they're shit deals. They're bad deals. I, I don't know how else to say it. There maybe have been a couple. I think there was one in 1948 or something. 1948 before the the first war where maybe in retrospect, Palestinians would have taken that solution, that two-state solution that was offered by the UN, if I'm remembering it right. But here's the thing. Why the fuck should they? You're going you're gonna to tell me I've been living here my whole life, and now you're just saying, by the way, here's a solution. Uh, all these people that moved into this territory now, uh, they you have to accept that they own this part and this part and this part. Like, what? Like, dude, I wasn't even at the table. If you're bringing people into where I've been living, please, like, talk to me about it. But, again... I'm not going to get, we're not going to get bogged down there. Let's go to 2000 and let's just go to 2007. Okay. This is really where I think things have been the most desperate for the Palestinians that they've ever been. And this is where the beginning of the blockade happens and the establishment of the, what, what has been referred to rightfully so as the open air prison. So, in since 2007, Gaza has been under a blockade imposed by Israel with limited movement of people and goods in and out of the territory. It has significantly restricted the import of essential supplies, such as food, medicine, and building materials, and the export of goods. When I say a blockade, I mean if you're a Palestinian in Gaza, you cannot get in or out without going through the IDF, without going through Israel and getting their permission. If you need to work, sorry, you can't work unless you get a permit from us. And guess what? You don't have the same rights as we do. We're denying you specifically rights. It is a strict control of Gaza's borders, airspace, and territorial waters by Israel. The economic hardships, it, it's, it's difficult to describe the extent to which the hardships, the extent to which people are facing hardships in Gaza. It is, uh, when people say it's like a prison, it is like a prison. 
97% of the water there uh, in Gaza is not drinkable. And who do you think controls the, the 3% of the drinkable water? It's the Israel. Uh, the population is one of the most, the population in Gaza is one of the most um, densely populated areas in the entire world. So there's not a lot of space for you to move around. The 2.1 million people who live in Gaza, about half of them are dependent on food aid to, to, to eat. They rely on humanitarian food aid, which is controlled by Israel. So Israel controls who gets in, who gets out. They control whether or not you get any of that 3% water. They control who gets fed, if you get food or not. They control your power, whether or not you have access to power. It is literally a, uh, it's, it's better, it, it makes more sense to describe it as a prison than as any kind of living situation. And And what's more is... Israel has also implemented laws allowing Israeli citizens to go into Gaza, to go into the West Bank, and basically just start living wherever they want, take your property, etc. Um, and this isn't like an over-exaggeration. That's just, you can look at the videos online, you can look at all the uh, reports of this. It is, Palestinians do not have rights. <laughs> they are prisoners within uh, especially Gaza. So the day-to-day -day conditions are, they're abhorrent. There's no real other way to, to describe them. And on top of that, you have uh, violence from the IDF. You, if you try to get out without crossing the proper border and getting permission. If you're denied permission and you try to get out, you're shot. You're killed. And there are so many examples of this happening. Uh, there's plenty more you can read up and learn about the, the, the conditions in Gaza, but basically since 2007, if you're a Palestinian li living in Gaza, like you've been fucked this whole time. Don't get me wrong, but you're you are extra fucked if you've been in there since 2007. So let's talk a little bit about Hamas, okay? And where they come from and why they would kill civilians and why this came about. Just, we got to talk a little bit about Hamas. So the, the first things first, like any, any group, Palestinian group that has been fighting against Israel. We need to get a sense of the power imbalance. A lot of the times Hamas and other groups, Hamas should look, they do some terrorist shit. This is not a defense of Hamas or anything, but I do want to give people a sense of the difference between one of the world's biggest, most well-equipped standing armies and the big bad guy that they're so scared of, okay? Um, do I even go over this death graphic? Let me just give you, j just so we understand the power balance here a little bit before we get into Hamas. 
let's talk about like the deaths and the scale of pain from the Israeli side and the Palestinian side. Okay. Because a lot of the times Israel is constantly trying to justify the fact that they need to have the barrier around Gaza. They need to kill and bomb Palestinian civilians because it's for their own safety. Let's just look at the disparity in the numbers of deaths and, and, and injuries and casualties that have come about from this conflict. Okay. So this is according to the UN from this is between 2008 to September of 2023. So Israelis in total, according to the UN's statistics, have suffered 308 deaths and 600, I'm sorry, 6,707, fuck, sorry, 6,307 injuries as a result of the conflict. Again, 308 deaths, 6,307 injuries. From 2008 to 2023. Uh, Palestinians have suffered at least 6,407 deaths and 152,560 injuries as a result of the conflict. Less Less Israelis have been injured then Palestinians have been killed. And 152,560 Palestinians have been injured as a result of this conflict compared to 6,307 Israelis. There is no, if people are trying to describe this as a battle between two equal powers, there's no equality here. There is no comparison. It is one force that can decimate the other and the other being decimated. Let's just be very clear about that. So let's go back to Hamas. Where do they come from? Why are they, you know, what's their deal? This is, this is, this is, I'm not going to go into their ideology. I haven't studied it. They say they want to, uh, reports are, They want death to Israel and all Israelis. I have a hard time believing that they want to just like kill every Israeli just for funsies like that. Again, sometimes people go fucking nuts. So maybe, but I think what's important to know is not the, the, the ideology, but how they came to prominence because I've, I've mentioned the Palestinian liberation organization, uh, which was, formed in like the 1960s. It was a a political and representative body established in the 1960s with the aim of representing the Palestinian people and their national aspirations on the international stage. Because again, Palestine was not like a proper country when people, when, when, when Zionist uh, resettlement began. I told you they were part of the Ottoman empire. Then they were like part of like the British, whatever. And, but but they really, in some ways, are very similar to, um, like, indigenous peoples in, in America. You know, different tribes, different, uh, like, uh, more of similarity religiously, but they did not see themselves as, like, a collective people until they started to really be treated as a collective 
menace, as a collective people that needed to be moved, as a collective nuisance. And by the time they started to go for their own, uh, to try to become their own country, it was too late. The same thing that happened with indigenous peoples in in, in America, right? Uh, and the same thing that happens with a lot of occupied peoples. A lot of people occupied indigenous peoples because like, if you're just kind of living your life with your own customs, your own way of living, it's hard to understand being conquered. It's hard to understand being colonized because the concept is just, it's, it's a, like, what the fuck do you mean you're colonizing us? I live here. So again, I'm getting a little far afield. Let's just talk about the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Okay. So it was a political and representative body that was established in 1964 with the aim of representing Palestinian people and their national aspirations on the international stage. If you've heard of people like Yasser Arafat, a big part of the PLO, this was the group that started to form the, the, uh, to the extent it could be an official government, the official government of the people of Palestine. And uh, them, along with Fatah, the Fatah party, or the Fatah party, uh, which was a secular, uh, like a secular organization with more elements of like a, I guess you could say a, a secular organization. Some have described it as like a leftist guerrilla movement waging insurgencies, uh, which at, at times they did. But these were organizations that were now trying to represent the Palestinian people. So whenever negotiations were happening between Israel and Palestine, it was usually the PLO or Yasser Arafat. Um, now, the PLO was seen as a threat to Israel. Um, Israel viewed them as a threat. They had a significant amount of negotiating power. They had some, they had an ability at the time to carry out guerrilla operations along with Fatah. Uh, Israel saw them as terrorists. So uh, I want to read some, some of this article from, uh, I think it's Ishan Theror, and this is in the Washington Post in 2014. And it really talks about how Israel helped create Hamas, which is the, the great irony in all of this. So the current fighting, a clash between Israel's vastly superior armed forces and Hamas's insurgents, obscures the greater challenges facing Israelis and Palestinians, including the thorny question of how to accord equal rights to millions of Palestinians living under occupation in the event that a separate Palestinian state turns out not to be viable. It also obscures Hamas's curious history. To a certain degree, the Islamist organization whose militant wing has rained rockets on Israel the past few weeks has the Jewish state to thank for its existence. Hamas launched in 1988 in Gaza at the time of the first Antifada or uprising with a charter now infamous for its anti-Semitism and its refusal to accept the existence of the Israeli state. But for more than a decade prior, Israeli authorities actively enabled its rise. 
At the time, Israel's main enemy was the late Yasser Arafat's Fatah party, which formed the heart of the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Fatah was secular and cast in the mold of other revolutionary leftist guerrilla movements waging insurgencies elsewhere in the world during the Cold War. The PLO carried out assassinations and kidnappings and, although recognized by neighboring Arab states, was considered a terrorist organization by Israel. PLO operatives in the occupied territories faced brutal repression at the hands of the Israeli security state. Meanwhile, the activities of the Islamists affiliated with Egypt's banned Muslim Brotherhood were allowed in the open in Gaza. A radical departure from when the strip was administered by the secular nationalist Egyptian government of Gamal Abdel Nasser. Egypt lost control of Gaza to Israel after the 1967 Arab-Israeli War, which saw Israel seize the West Bank. In 1966, Nasser had executed uh, oh, Syed Atub, one of the Brotherhood's leading intellectuals. The Israelis saw Atubs or Qutubs, I don't know how to say it, I'm sorry guys, I'm dumb, adherents in the Palestinian territories, including the wheelchair-bound Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, as a useful counterweight to Arafat's PLO. So what is this saying? Um, the Hamas organization was, and, and, and its predecessors, were uplifted by Israeli authorities to counterweight the power that the PLO had. Basically this, we're going to strengthen Hamas as an alternative to the PLO so that it weakens the PLO. So they can't pull from the same, uh, same thing. Um, same pool of people, right? Uh, and it worked. The, 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 Muslim Brotherhood and the, the Hamas originally were kind of known for their social and welfare programs, which were filling voids in Palestinian society, providing services um, like hospitals, education, stuff like that to people in Palestine. Uh, Israel uplifted that. And next thing you know, you got Hamas. So they can say, people can say Hamas wants to destroy the Israeli state. Well, the predecessors to Hamas did not, you know, the, 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 the problem with weakening organizations that are trying to come to more diplomatic solutions and actively strengthening those that are trying to heat shit up is that when it gets hot, you can't fucking complain because you turned on the oven. These things are not happening in a vacuum. These are people who are, desperate, who are under occupation, who deserve and require some form of representation. And if you're denying them that representation, that autonomy, you're denying them options. People do not become terrorists for funsies. It's not fun to be a fucking terrorist. You look like shit. Everything sucks. You're blowing stuff up. You're fucking out of your mind. Like, no one wants that. You leave people. Look, I'm not trying to justify. Let me be clear here. No, you know, fuck it. Let me just be honest. Um, 
Don't start no shit. There won't be no shit. Is what a wise man once said. And when you are preventing all diplomatic solutions or getting in the way of diplomatic solutions and rising, uh, empowering more extreme elements, don't be surprised when that extremity comes back on you. So let's let's get to the attack. Let's let's get to That's a brief history of some of the events leading up to the attack. How Hamas was formed, how Israel uh gained power, why the Palestinian pe- how the Palestinian people were uh uh occupied and in in large part ethnically cleansed from their home uh Let's get to the reasons for the attack and and Hamas this time around, um, because there have been little Hamas has tried to, you know, launch shitty rockets at Israel, has 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 tried to do things before and has, but again we went over those death toll numbers, okay? Within ten years they had killed three thousand some odd people, uh, or they had uh, Hamas had had killed. What, 200? What was it? 308 people. 10 years. 308 people. Uh, Israel's killing thousands and injuring hundreds of thousands. Uh, much more by other estimates, but uh, that's that's where we're at when this attack occurs. Uh why would Hamas do this? Uh, we'll spend a little bit of time on that. But uh, I'm reminded of when the attack first broke out on October 7th, I, I for some reason, I was thinking of, uh, apart from Soon Tzu's, it's been a while since I've said the guy's name. And obviously, I can't say names, guys. It's just, it is what it is. I'm not going to get better. I'm not going to learn. I refuse to. Um but there was a part in the uh, Art of War where Sun Tzu says that when you are confronting an enemy army and surrounding them, you must leave a way of escape. Show him there is a road to safety. And so create in his mind the idea that there is an alternative to death, then strike. And that seems weird, right? Like, why, if you're surrounding an enemy army, would you leave a way for them to escape? Well, the point is you never want to completely surround an enemy because you make them desperate. If they can't escape and you're attacking them, the only option for them to have any chance at preserving their lives is to fight. That's it. And and a, a man with nothing to lose is someone who can fight harder than someone who can run. And if it's fight or flight and you take away the flight option, it's fight. That's all you got. So look, 
I think when you've been living under occupation for as long as the Palestinians have, I think when all diplomatic avenues that have been explored have been shut down uh, by an Israeli government that becomes more and more uh, extreme, more and more uh, unwilling to see you as human, and starts talking more and more in the language of genocide, I think you're going to have some people who look at that and say, you know, I'm I'm going to take my chances with death. And again, this is this is hard to talk about too because Hamas is not the Palestinians. You know, Israel likes to say that oh, well when we give when we gave the Palestinians the ability to have their own elections, they elected 7 of 10 uh, people or seven of 10 of their candidates were members of Hamas. Well, d- that didn't happen in a vacuum, one. And two, uh, Gaza, the people who are living in Gaza right now, which has a like a median age of either like 14 or 18. I've seen conflicting reports, but you know, half the people living in Gaza are under the age of 18. They didn't vote. And even if they did, at what point do we believe in collective punishment? Isn't that the whole point of the Jewish state in Israel is to escape that kind of collective punishment? Like, how are you not seeing the irony that you are now imposing that on a people? But again, I'm getting too far afield. Let's just talk about the attack. You give people no other options. That never justifies them killing civilians, that's never justified in my eyes. This is a terrorist attack, but it's totally predictable. That's all I'm trying to say, is seeing this kind of outcome was absolutely predictable. Desperate motherfuckers do desperate shit. And let's talk about the desperate shit that they did. So we won't spend too much time on this because anyone who's seen any news kind of knows what's, what's... What's going on? Um, God, I am missing a couple more things. Before we get to the attack, we'll talk about two more things, okay? Two more things. One is the callous disregard for Palestinian life that Israel and the the IDF has uh, displayed. Just to let you know how desperate people are. Uh, Let's talk about mowing the grass. Mowing the grass is a phrase that really indicates Israel's callous cruelty. The Israeli state's callous cruelty towards the Palestinian people. Um, For more than a decade, this is from the Washington Post. This is a report by a a person named Adam Taylor. But for more than a decade, when analysts described the strategy utilized by Israel against Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip, they've used a metaphor. With their displays of overwhelming military strength, Israeli forces were, quote, mowing the grass. The phrase implies that Palestinian militants in the Gaza Strip and their supply of crude but effective homemade weapons are like weeds that need to be cut back. Uh, 
Zahava Galan, a former lawmaker with the leftist Meretz Party, wrote that the strategy results in perpetual war that forgets human beings are also able to talk, not only carry a club. Uh, people will say it's just like mowing your front lawn, killing a bunch of Palestinian people, keeping them in line. Uh, does that sound like a, 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 a government? Yeah, keeping everyone low, as Lysol says. Does that sound like a government that is willing to negotiate with you at arm's length? That is willing to see you as people? That is willing to provide you real diplomatic solutions? And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, just briefly, but if you really want to know, you know, why haven't peaceful solutions worked? Why couldn't Hamas do something peaceful here? I'm not justifying Hamas again, but why did they turn to violence? Let's talk about 2018 and the March of Return. Because the truth is, the Palestinians have tried repeatedly to come up with a peaceful solution. So in 2018, Palestinians began holding uh, demonstrations, which, again, these are people under occupation, right? They're in an open-air prison. They can't get out. They can't cross a border without the permission of Israel uh, to return to their own homelands. So in 2018, thousands participated in gatherings taking place every Friday on special days at five locations along the perimeter fence to advocate a right to return to their homelands. You know, let us out, let us out of prison. And this is reporting from the world's most anti-Semitic organization, the United Nations. While the vast majority of protesters acted in a peaceful manner, during most protests, dozens have approached the fence attempting to damage it, dozens. We're talking thousands and thousands, but dozens approach the fence, a fence attempting to damage it, burning tires, throwing stones and Molotov cocktails towards the Israeli forces and flying incendiary kites and balloons into Israeli territory, into Israeli territory, okay. The latter resulted in extensive damage to agricultural land and nature reserves inside Israel and risked risked the lives of Israeli civilians. Some incidents of shooting and throwing of explosive devices have been reported. Some incidents. It hurt our farmland. Israeli forces responded. This is the same report from the UN. Israeli forces responded by shooting tear gas canisters, some of them dropped from drones, rubber bullets, and live ammunition mostly by snipers. And remember the, 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 the Israelis who were, you were risking their civilian lives and destroying their nature preserves with a Molotov cocktail, the dozens of you. As a result of the Israeli forces uh, shooting live ammunition and, and, and their tactics, 214 Palestinians, including 46 children, were killed. And over 36,100, including 8,800 children, have been injured. 
One in five of those injured, over 8,000, were hit by live ammunition. During the same period, one Israeli soldier was killed. And seven others were injured during the demonstrations. During a peaceful demonstration, a largely peaceful demonstration. Can you imagine if this happened during the Million Man March? Do you think Martin Luther King, do you think all the people at the Million Man March would have still believed in nonviolence if that was the response? Here's what's fucked up about this. Thousands and thousands, 36,000 plus people were, were including 8,000, almost 10,000 children were injured in this. So many people, I, I've heard, seen reports that so many people were injured and permanently maimed that some organizations estimate that over 1,000 Palestinians lost limbs as a result of what were largely peaceful protests. As a result of the live rounds and other violence from the IDF. Um, even conservative uh, estimates suggest that hundreds upon hundreds of Palestinians lost limbs for this. Uh, and there was a quote by one Israeli sniper who participated in uh, quelling this peaceful protest, who said that he took 42 knees in one day. So he sniped out 42 knees in one day. So when we talk about why didn't people take more peaceful options, why, why is this happening? Let's be really fucking clear here. They tried. They tried. <sighs> okay. So we're an hour in. That's some of the backstory. That's some of the backdrop. Let's get back to the attack on October 7th. Clearly, taking civilians, uh, killing civilians at a music festival. Uh, Hamas in what was an unprecedented attack in basically like the guerrilla warfare version of D-Day launched a huge attack, the biggest they've ever done, where they targeted the wall of Gaza. They used drones to drop like little bombs and, and damage the walls of Gaza. They attacked civilians at a uh, music festival held outside of Gaza. I mean, not the best place to hold a music festival, I would say. But, you know, civilians don't deserve to be attacked and, and taken. Uh, many of them were taken hostage. The, the uh, over 260 people were killed. Uh, I, think, I think the numbers are like in the thousands or like a thousand some odd people injured and, or, or taken hostage. It was wild. You can look at the videos. Let again, let's be clear. I think I really think that once you start acting like your oppressor in in targeting people who are innocent, you're really fucking up. Personally, if you're going to do violence, you better be targeted. Now many of them were armed. There are plenty of people, there are plenty of IDF people who were uh, 
killed as a result of this attack too. But when you're just a civilian civilian, uh, I'm not down with that. But again, as I've said, the numbers are not even close compared to who's been killing more civilians here. And I think it's very, it, 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 you can't keep people in a cage forever and not expect some animal to come out of them. You can't. And if I was doing a jailbreak and I'd been in the same situation, I can't say I would be all high and mighty up on my fucking horse right now either. Because I think I'd be pretty fucking mad. So this attack happens. This invasion. Uh, and... There, there, there are some implications as to the scale of the invasion that are important here. You had uh, land, air, and sea. Now, the ship was super ghetto, I will say. When I say land, air, and sea, I'm not talking about a, a fighter jet or a, a bomber jet being flown by Hamas and dropping people out. But there are land, they're like, uh, you know, those Louisiana airboats. I'm dead ass serious. People are parachuting with machine guns in Louisiana airboats and gliders to get in this. This is this is some of the the fact that this happened at all is insane because Benjamin Netanyahu and the whole Israeli government's hard right wing uh, full of hard right wingers has been, uh, you know, don't worry, we'll keep you safe by just being the worst people on earth and by uh, totally uh, rejecting entirely the humanity of Palestinian people and just mowing the grass. This attack that happened from Hamas took some coordination. It took some training. I, I have never seen ghetto warfare this complete. For as jank as this shit looked, they did some damage. And I think they have Israel and the Israeli government shook. Now, why does this matter? Uh, coordinated attacks like this, like I said, they don't happen in a vacuum. Which, given the history of Israel and some of the different Arab nations surrounding it, and given the connections that Hamas has to certain other nations and different groups like Hezbollah, uh, they probably had some help. And if they had some help from someone, perhaps you know, what's been floated is Iran. That could be a big deal. The global political implications of that can be fucking huge. And we could be heading into a much bigger conflict. Now, the first question people were asking after the attack is how did they do this? How did, how was Hamas able to plan and carry out this attack without Israel knowing? Israel used to brag that there was nothing that was happening in Gaza that they didn't know about. They have some of the best surveillance technology in existence. They are, uh, they make the Patriot Act look like uh, Weenie Hut Juniors. Okay? They are, this slipped under their nose. So, how? Uh, 
we're still trying to decide. We're still trying to figure that out. Uh, what did happen immediately after was Hamas did claim that Iran helped them with this attack. Iran and their government has denied this. The United States came out, which, again, many people in the United States want to go to war with Iran. Let's not forget that. But the United States intelligence agencies came out and confirmed that they don't have any evidence, hard evidence, suggesting that Iran was involved in planning this attack. Uh, that's good. It's good because it shows that at least diplomatically at the time that statement was made, Iran did not want to get into a wider conflict with the U.S. The U.S. did not want to get into a wider conflict with Iran. And there was no, you know, I, I'm willing to accept that information that Iran did not in any official capacity help plan this attack. We'll see what happens, but if they did, I do not see the United States staying out of the war. I do not see that happening. Um, there are plenty of people in the United States, plenty of politicians, Tom Cotton, Lindsey Graham, who are actively asking, actively advocating for the U.S. to bomb Iran, to bomb Hamas, to bomb Palestine, the Palestinian people. Uh, they're nuts. But Israel has already made some moves here following this attack that indicate to me and should indicate to everyone else that um, they're trying to carry out their full-on dreams of, of the destruction of the Palestinian people in their entirety. Uh, The immediate aftermath, I think the last numbers I saw is that 700 some odd Israelis had been killed. 2,000 some odd, 2,000 some odd had been injured. Already, Israel has surpassed those numbers. They have killed more than 700 people in Gaza and injured uh, 3,000 some odd plus. Uh, now, at least four Americans were killed in the attack. I believe that number's gone up. Hundreds of hostages were taken, including the children children and the elderly. And immediately you start to see the propaganda machine get to work. You know, there are reports, completely unconfirmed reports, of Hamas coming in and raping everybody, of cutting off babies' heads because, you know, why... that. I don't know. Like the, the 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 idea here is that Israel has shown in its response, and we'll get to some of the responses in particular, that they they really want to wipe Palestine out. They are trying to dehumanize all Palestinian people. They are looping Palestinians, all Palestinians, in with Hamas. All Palestinians did not uh, carry out this attack, but that's how they're trying to frame it. They are cutting off aid. And water and electricity to uh, the people in Gaza, which, again, you have people who cannot escape Gaza, who now only were relying on, uh, who only had uh, only 3% of the water there was drinkable in the first place, and you needed a power plant to even make that water drinkable. 
Israel's shutting all that shit down. They're sieging it. And they're bombing it at the same time that they have the siege on. So they're killing... Uh, there's no place for Gaza, for the people of Gaza to go. Israel issued an order, a warning that everyone in Gaza had to be evacuated from the northern parts of Gaza to the southern parts of Gaza within 24 hours. That's 1.1 million people who within 24 hours have to go all the way from the north of Gaza all the way south. The most densely populated city or one of the most densely populated cities and uh, countries in the world or areas in the world. How? How the fuck do you do that? How do you move 1 million people over the span of 24 hours to get them to safety? And the thing is, there are reports that there is no safety here. Uh, Israel has been, there's reports of convoys of people heading south being bombed. Now, Hamas would have no reason to do that, I don't think. I mean, you could say that they would potentially do that as a like a false flag to blame Israel. I don't, if you understand Israel, you don't need to do that. They're going to bomb anyway. Uh the the responses, I, I have more notes here that I, I really do want to go over. The, the the initial response to this has been so insane because it's basically been people in Israel, Israel like Israel government officials, Israeli government officials who say, okay, well, we're going to genocide. We're going to collectively punish the Palestinians for this attack. And then America and other nations going – Okay, yeah, you can do that. It's 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 terrifying. I mean, it's not just the Tom Cottons and the Lindsey Grahams. I don't know. I'm sure you've all seen this already, but Kareem Jean-Pierre, Biden's press secretary, came out during the press conference and said uh, the following. I'll just uh, – uh, I'll play the clip. But when she was asked about the Hugh, you know what, I'll I'll read the interview part because that makes sense. But uh, the question is, what's the president's message to members of Congress who seem to be equating the Hamas terror attack with actions that were previously taken by Israel? Because, again, Israel has killed civilians, has killed babies. Remember, just in the, the March of Return, what was it, over eight? Hundred over eight thousand eight hundred children were injured and forty six were killed. But uh, Jean Pierre is asked, "What is the president's message to members of Congress who seem to be equating the Hamas terror attack with actions that were previously taken by Israel?" And she says, "Look, here's the thing. So I've seen some of those statements this weekend, and we're going to be very clear." We believe they are wrong, we believe they're repugnant, and we believe they're disgraceful. Our condemnation belongs squarely with terrorists who have brutally murdered, raped, kidnapped hundreds, hundreds of Israelis. There could be no equivocation about that. There are not two sides here. There are not two sides. President Biden has been very clear on where he has stood. You heard him. You heard him directly today. You heard from him. Also, on Saturday on this, there's been multiple statements from this president. 
and he's taking action to provide additional support to ensure that Israel has what they need to defend themselves, to defend themselves. And I also want to be clear here, these reports that they've raped hundreds of Israelis, no substantiation. We've seen zero reports. I've seen nothing substantiating that either. You have Biden who went out and gave a press conference saying, oh, yeah, I've seen pictures of babies getting their heads cut off by Hamas. I never thought I would see that. He didn't fucking see those pictures because they don't fucking exist. Lion dick. What are you talking about? Like this. This is what scares me about the situation right now is there is a. Israel is not hiding its bloodlust, the Israeli administration. And when I say Israel, I want to be very clear. It's not the people of Israel. It's really not. Because the people of Israel right now, all indications are that they're fucking pissed. They can't believe they trusted this Benjamin Netanyahu motherfucker to protect them by creating an open air prison to restrict everyone, to, to, to just completely dehumanize an entire population of people. But they were willing to make that devil's bargain. Many of them were because they thought it would bring safety. And now they're not even safe. This fucker. Okay, let me. I've been professional this whole time. Let me keep it. Let me keep it professional. This guy. Can't even keep them safe. So now you're committing all these human rights abuses. These war crimes. Without even keeping the people that you've promised to keep safe, safe. I mean, look. The, the, the. The result from Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli government then has been uh, they've talked about wiping Gaza off the map, making it into a city of ruin. The Israeli defense minister called the people of Gaza human animals. And if you have the U.S. that's coming up and saying there are no two sides here, uh. You're, you're, the bells in your head should be going off that we may, we might be about to, we might just witness an actual fucking genocide, like a real ass, no, no ambiguity slaughter. And that is terrifying. Um, I'll play a clip from the Israeli ambassador. Okay, there, there. So you have uh, you have a million people trying to flee. No guarantee that they're going to be safe when they flee. People calling for a city of ruin. Collective punishment being enacted on all these people who. Shit! If Israel didn't know this attack was going to happen, do they think all these people knew this attack was going to happen? How? How sway? But I want to play, like, the, the tone, for those of you who, I don't know, have not been following this as closely or think that maybe I'm, I'm it's a bunch of leftists getting their panties in a bunch here. Uh, look, you're right. My panties are always bunched, but they're bunched for good reason. This is, uh, I don't know how else you explain language like this. Let me... 
this is the Israeli uh, uh, ambassador to the UK. I think it's Tizipi Hotovoli. And this is an, uh, her on Sky News the other day just talking about this, um, about the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Let me just play it. On the humanitarian crisis in Gaza this morning, well, there is no humanitarian crisis because there isn't. It, there is no. Uh, Israel is in charge of the safety of the Israelis. Hamas is in charge of the safety of the Palestinians. Hamas abused every single support of the international community, and instead of taking care of his people, it created this underneath tunnel of terror a manufacturing of rockets that their own main target is to hurt innocent Jews in their homes. And this is the time that Hamas need to pay the price for its abuse, killing innocent Israelis, and now preventing from his own people to evacuate and to be safe. Israelis work with the international organizations to make sure all Palestinian civilians will be safe. And- I, I, I got to say here too, um, the false equivocation of Hamas to the Palestinian people is it's completely messed up. Like it is, it's heartless. It's, it's heartless, man. Like these are just people. God, it's how, how can you do that? How can you say, How could fuck like this is what scares me about this shit, man? Like they've already killed more people in response than what Hamas killed. They've already injured more people, and they have been for forever. But now, this is someone who's supposed to be like an ambassador, who's who's supposed to represent your nation, who. Flat out, when all sane people can see that you have a bunch of civilians who are in a a, 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 a place where their water has been cut off, their food is shut down, their power is shut down, and they're being bombed, who are being collectively punished for the actions of Hamas is refusing to say this is a humanitarian crisis. You know why it's not a humanitarian crisis to them? Because they see them as human animals. Because it can't be a humanitarian crisis if they're animals, right? God, that's why, but when I say, you know, because there has been, I'm not like on Twitter like that, or I haven't been seeing all the messages that people have been having, the conversations about, well, was Hamas justified to do this attack? I'm not. Or like, I, I don't believe in whataboutism, really. Like, I don't think the fact that Israel kills civilians means that Hamas should kill civilians or is justified in doing so. 
And I don't believe that because look at where that belief system gets you. I'm going to play the rest of this clip with with this ambassador just so you can hear because we, we, we really need to understand, though, that, like, this is someone who has taken whatever good was in her heart and her soul and her person and convinced herself that destroying innocent people civilians of any kind that somehow that is uh, uh uh just and good and that her moral compass can remain intact while that's happening it cannot the only people who are animals are those who kill indiscriminately like animals are those who 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 destroy their own humanity and even then they're still human beings, you know, like, like, my God, people. I don't, I don't, okay. All right, let's just play the rest of this dumb fuck. <sighs> okay. And we are giving them the opportunity to go south to a sheltered place, place that they will be safe. Unfortunately, what shelters? the children of Kfar Aza, the people of Sderot, were not given this opportunity to be safe. They weren't alarmed. They didn't get alert. They were slaughtered in their beds. So Israel Israel is just targeting military targets. And we want the international community military. to make sure Hamas will bring back home all those kidnapped people, including British citizens. By the way, yesterday I got a phone call from uh, Israeli citizens that said the mother was shot and the two teenager girls, 13 and 16, are kept hosted in Gaza, British citizens. We've been showing pictures this morning that would illustrate that there is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Are you a mother? Yes. What would you think if your children would have been executed in front of your eyes? Would you expect your government to think about those Nazis committing those crimes and to say, wait a second, first of all, we need to protect the enemy. Look at this. The Nazi, like... The, the, the cognitive fucking dissonance of saying, are you a mother appealing to empathy while having none? You know what other mothers have to see their kids executed in front of their eyes? Every time you drop a fucking bomb on the people of Palestine, you fuck. Like, what are you talking about? Executed in front of your eyes. And then you say the children of the enemy. These are mother, the mother. And also. Since when is it okay to kill the children of your enemy? What the fuck are you talking about? Since when has it ever been? What? I just, I could just kill kids as long as their dad was bad? What the fuck are you saying? And then to protect my children. Your fuck your children, dude. Like you don't give a shit. You don't give a fuck about anyone's children. If this is your children, if this is what you're teaching them, they're gonna fuck. You are destroying us as humanity. You're destroying the thing that makes us special. Like, holy shit, dude. Like, it's. I don't know how. Like, it still blows my mind when when shit this like racist and this like just 
complete like how can you get how are you allowed to get on a show and just be that hateful and do you not see the irony in being a people coming from a people who experience that much hate and that much violence and that much indiscriminate terror and now becoming the oppressor the worst outcome poetically the worst fucking thing you could ever be look anyone here if you're going to be a revolutionary of any kind remember this and i think cornell west is great for this if you lose your fucking your heart if you lose your empathy and your compassion you've lost everything you've lost everything you've lost the reason you fight for everybody to begin with you've lost the, the whole idea of why why liberation matters that's the core of it and if you if you kill that part it's over it's fucking over and it's it's i won't play any more of it because it's obviously getting me upset and i was keeping my cool this whole time but this shit sucks guys this fucking sucks and and let me finish my notes and let's just take some calls and 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 I mean, look, it is, I mean, you have the hospital that was hit today. The Hamas says the Israelis did it. The evidence seems to, from what I've seen, I'm guessing that's an Israeli rocket, in my opinion, but I need to see more. I don't know. We don't have hard evidence. The fog of war is the fog of war. Shit happens. You don't know. It's just that the shit is happening to all of these people, to children. If you see some of these videos of these kids, I, I think you should be required to to show all of it on on air. I know like news networks and stuff, they don't they don't show a lot of this or they edit it. No, don't fucking edit that. Show it. Show the kids who are shaking and and with limbs gone or who are dead on the streets. Show it. Show what this is actually doing. Show them your justice. Show them that this is justice. Show them that this is that that calling for a ceasefire is morally repugnant. Ju- make that motherfucker justify that position, because then you have reports from the State Department too. State Department officials. This is from reporting in, in the Huff Post. State Department officials were warned were warned diplomats not to use words such as ceasefire. In a memo released shortly after the Israeli government ordered over 1 million Gazans to evacuate their homes within 24 hours late Thursday, staff were specifically asked not to publish press pieces containing the phrases end to violence slash bloodshed, restoring calm and de-escalation slash ceasefire, according to HuffPost. This is why I think the, 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 the likelihood of an actual large scale genocide is very, very high is very, very high. How is it ever fucking appropriate to tell people to not talk about ceasefire and to violence bloodshed? What the fuck is the point of your government? What is the point of you being a government or or, or, or being a diplomat if you're not going to use diplomacy to help innocent people? It's insane. 
I have other notes here. But I don't... If I keep talking about the problem too much, I'm going to break down again. And and we're... Uh, let's just... You know what? Let's skip straight to the ways to help. Let's go to the fucking solutions, baby. Because fuck all this problem shit. It is... I don't want to see this happen. I don't want to see a, I, I don't want to allow this to happen. So I'm copying a link here in the uh, chat. This is a uh, sign up link to join Hamas. <laughs> I'm kidding. It is a, it is a link that someone named, I think Dr. Fatima provided that have resources for Palestinian solidarity. There are some general organization with resources, action items, and updates that are listed here. Uh, I think we could also expand on these. Um, There's a list of ways to help. I think, look, we have to do everything. I think we have to, there are organizations we could donate money to. I think not just going to protests, but, but I look, I'm usually not a big fan of like, or I usually don't believe in the, the utility of writing your government officials. Let's just like, I know that doesn't seem like a lot. The only thing that we really have right now, or one of the only big weapons that we have is um, public pressure. That's a big one, because one thing that I have been a little more heartened to see is that uh, in the past, all the news, all the voices would still be for Israel. But I think the Israeli government is so laughably and maniacally and noticeably evil that... Uh, <clears throat> the things that they're advocating for right now are evil, are like l- legit genocidal that a lot more people are speaking up. I mean, there's a whole other episode we could probably do on is Hezbollah going to get involved in the north of Israel? There's a real possibility this can spin out of control. I think there's also a possibility here that Israel can take a, a different path. I mean, I mean, you know, the book I was mentioning, the the Hundred Years' War of in uh, on Palestine, again by Rashid uh, Khalidi, notes that settler colonial confrontations with indigenous peoples have only ended in one of three ways. The first is with the elimination or full subjugation of the native population. Um, that happened in North America with the indigenous peoples here. It can also end by the defeat and expulsion of the colonizer. This is extremely rare. Uh, Algeria, I guess Haiti. 
or it can end with the abandonment of colonial supremacy via compromise and reconciliation like South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Ireland. Uh, there is a significant chance here things will escalate. I know that some people say that they're, uh, I see Dane here, uh, always great to see Dane, uh, but saying that, look, there may be a uh, threat of a two-front war with Hezbollah. There's a real question as to whether Israel could win it. I think if they get into a two-front war with Hezbollah, America's getting in the war. And I think once America gets in the war, that's going to be a problem for a lot of reasons, because that's going to be a war with our tax dollars committing a genocide, which is insane. And it's also insane because who knows what everyone else does, right? Is this, does, 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 uh, you know, I don't think this is going to affect the situation with Ukraine very much other than the fact that, uh, you know, I don't think like Russia is going to team up with Hezbollah and try to destroy Israel because Russia and Israel are kind of cool with each other. I don't know if China is going to get involved. I like who cares on that stuff. It's more of like, <sighs> I, I don't know if defeat and expulsion of the colonizer is a possibility here with Israel. I don't know. It may have to be the the solution here may have to be the abandonment of colonial supremacy. And that's for now where I'm going to apply my pressure. I could be convinced otherwise, but, um, wow. Um, Israel stated that their end goal is to completely eradicate Hamas and they're planning on bombing the hell out of Gaza to accomplish that. I, you know, they've also, they're openly committing more crimes here. It's been confirmed that they were dropping white phosphorus on <laughs> the Gaza. And they're, they, they, they'll lie through their teeth. The, the Israeli uh, government comes and lies through their teeth and says, hey, we're not actually doing that. No, it's not white phosphorus. Actually, it's a, it's a nice, agreeable gray phosphorus what the fuck are they talking about um look that's that's enough that's enough i think the thing that we should emphasize the most here are ways to help again i will post a document again um this is a place to start and maybe next episode i can give even more concrete i mean i'll go over the solutions some of them that are proposed real quick um general organizations that you can get involved with, with action steps. Um, There's the going to protest and calling and emailing government officials. There's the donating money, boycotting Israeli brands. I mean, now is a good time to really ramp up the BDS, the boycott, divestment, and state sanctions stuff. Um, And really trying to... uh, amplify just the Palestinian people here and the humanity of all people here. You know, I don't want to see Israeli civilians. I don't want to see people at a music festival killed, even if it's the worst placed music festival of all time. How look that is, I am going to say though, 
like having a big ass music festival right outside of an open air prison, pretty fucking wild. That's a little too hard of a flex, buddy. That is not exactly, uh, that's some wild shit. That's like, ooh. Like, if you were ever going to tempt karma, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> uh, Dane says, uh, probably terrible music, too. Just Skrillex remixes of the Seinfeld theme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, 100%. Um, anyway, that was a brief history of the attacks, the things leading up to it, and, and where we're at now, and ways that we can help. Uh, that's it. That's it. Let's let's talk a bit, and then uh, let's all go to bed. Okay. <sighs> Lysol, what's going on? Hey, Bart, how you doing, man? Okay, you know, I, it, life is pretty good, all things except for, you know, it sucks, you know. There was uh, hard to watch this happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you go to break down, break down, man. It's, you know, don't hold that shit in. That makes it worse. I, I know, but, like, the thing that stops, I mean, honestly, the thing that stops me is, like, it's not my fucking struggle to break down for. Like, you have too many motherfuckers who are in Gaza right now who have to keep their shit together. I should... They they have to. They don't get the opportunity to. You know, they're going to be fucking traumatized for their whole lives if they even live. They are... For me to cry for their struggle is not enough. And it's, it's, it's almost like... There's like a self masturbatory element to it, like you know what I mean. I mean, like, I wouldn't think about it that way. This is yeah. I this mean, is that's threatening threatening the safety of the entire globe, you know, and putting us closer to fucking nuclear war. You know, you didn't yeah. even mention the Samson fucking nuclear war. You know, you didn't yeah. even mention the Samson option. How it's just like, well, you know, if we want, fuck you, we'll just blow the entire area up. Nobody gets to live here. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. You're right. You're right. Actually. Um, and that's actually yeah. a connection. So I was reading up on apartheid a little bit last night, and South Africa did the exact same thing. They developed nuclear weapons specifically so that they could defend their fucking uh, apartheid state. Yeah. So it's you know, there's actually a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of similarities between South Africa and Israel. I'm probably going to do a show on it. In the next, similarities between South Africa and Israel. I'm probably going to do a show on it in the next couple of days. That would be great, actually, because I think you know. When I'm left with the options of what what can we actually how do you actually resolve this, I don't see an option that is. I, the only one I can see is a reconciliation, and I don't know how you do that. That becomes almost harder and harder, and more and more distant every day. But every solution becomes more and more distant every day, and I don't want to see. I don't want to see genocide. I don't want to see that, and then have to like live in a world where our tax dollars are just subsidizing that like that is that's it's insane it's just wild 
Yeah, and the, and the the thresholds for us getting involved and Iran slash Hezbollah slash anybody else on their side getting involved are still also very nebulous, which is also kind of scary. Like, it's nice to have, like, a red line. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go in. It's like, well, they bombed a hospital. also kind of scary. Like, it's nice to have, like, a red line. It's like, okay, well, we're going to go in. It's like, well, they bombed a hospital. And Israel's man- has managed to turn the conversation into which who did it instead of we did it. So right. congrats. Uh, even though I, I feel like that would be going better for them if they hadn't done the beheaded babies bullshit. They're probably mad that Biden said that shit. Cause he, he's definitely not supposed to say that shit on the mic. I bet. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more clear how much bullshit propaganda the Israeli government puts out and their official media people, which seems to be like a bad communication strategy because if all you're doing is just constantly framing yourself as a victim while you're clearly an aggressor and you're clearly like, like, uh, you know, causing a lot of the destruction and the humanitarian crisis. And then you're lying to my face and saying, there is no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. There is no humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Uh, it's, it reminds me a lot of how like news organizations in the United States lost their credibility. It's because they would sit there and lie to your face. Oh, Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. And you, you can only hear that so many times before you say, okay, where is the evidence of the weapons of mass destruction? And then it never shows up. And you realize that so many of these narratives are just put out there to convince you to allow them to just do what they want to do. They want to bomb the shit out of civilians. Just pretend they're all Hamas. Shut the fuck up. Pretend they're all Hamas and bomb, firebomb the motherfuckers. Hey, we didn't use white phosphorus. We didn't use it. It's literally falling from the sky, dude. We literally have the photos of you using it. Unlike you having the photos of the apparently dead babies with their heads cut off. Like, that's... It's, 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 it's insane. It's insane double speak ass. Like when people talk 1984, that that idea of people actually lying directly to your fucking face and making you expecting you to just believe it is is wild to me. So I don't know why they're doing that. Uh, it's I, I don't think it's going to work. Well, it's also very emotional, right? Like, they're not even trying to hide it. They're brazenly making an appeal to your right. emotions. They're citing right. war crimes. They're calling people barbaric and stuff like that. Like, yeah. they're not trying to say, look, like, here's the situation. There's a, no, no, no. Yeah, forget what that guy just said. You're ignoring people being raped and murdered. Yeah. You know. How could you ignore people being raped and murdered? It's this moral high grounding. Look, to, to, to maintain the moral high ground, you actually have to have morals. You know, I, if you're doing a bunch of immoral (laughs) shit, if you're doing a bunch of immoral shit, I don't know where you're, I I don't know how you think you can just continue keeping that shit up without people starting to ask some questions, you know, um, I really don't know. I really don't know. I I don't know. You got any other, I mean, on, on the hopeful on the hopeful end, uh, so some people made some pretty strong cases that there's no way that Netanyahu survives this. And Israel yeah. does have snap elections. All it takes is a simple majority of the Knesset. And they could, bring, you know, they could have, I don't know how long it would take, but it would be something to the point where it's kind of like this check on him. 
I do yeah. kind of feel like he missed his missed his his spot if he had gone. You know, if if, if they had started, if they if they'd invaded in like in like two or three days earlier than than they said they were going to actually start invading, then it would be like, okay, well now you know we we have an inextricable situation that we kind of have to see play out. Now, I mean, the longer he waits, I think it's the harder for him to invade. So in that way, time is kind of on our side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think, yeah, to, to be hopeful, I think some of the responses I've seen even in, like, Israeli media make me realize that maybe there's a fever that's breaking. Maybe this is just the pain that we have to go through or experience or watch people experience for this fever to break. Um, I am seeing much more pushback in the media than I was expecting to on Israel and, and more acknowledgement of what they did here. Um, so I hope, I hope that's, I, I don't know. I hope, I hope those are good signs. I mean, American American Jews are putting their money where their mouth is. There was somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand people outside of the White House blocking all the entrances either yesterday yeah. or the day before. Uh, yeah. Three hundred three hundred people got arrested at a protest in D.C. today. Uh, the the U.S. vetoed a call for a ceasefire, and then when like the U.N. person was that the U.S. representative was speaking, other com- countries stood up and they turned their back on them. Yeah. I don't know if that happens frequently, if that's just like their way of throwing shade and some sort of like high school cafeteria tactic. But like that was like, ooh, America is being shunned right now. Yeah. Like it should know, be. It's, you know, you love to see it. <laughs> you do. You do. I, you know, celebrate when they do something good. Don't shun them if they're doing something bad, honestly. I mean, like that's uh, you do love to see it, man. You really do. Well, whew. well, thanks for the, the support, Lysol, as always. And, like, the, you know, let me know it's okay for me to uh, break down if it happens. Uh, it's okay for everyone else, too. You know, you're, you're right. Hey, man, if you want to, I'll, si- I'll send you my, my Force, Cry, Force Cry playlist. It's, it's unassailable. <laughs> you, w- you will break down. I can't wait. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take you up on that, Lysol. I appreciate you calling in. Enjoy the gushers. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. You too. All right, take care. All right, Peter, what's happening, man? Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How are you? Hey, bye. Uh, welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, it's and, good to be uh, back, man. Good to be back. Thank you. I noticed uh, quite a number of people. Uh, Brianna, Brianna Joy Grace back. Stoopy's yeah, back. Yeah, I saw her. Yeah, yeah, a number of people. Yeah, so glad you're back. Yeah, I want to offer some hope because uh, I actually I always said. Uh, there is a irreversible trend everybody's seeing. I call it the rising of the brown people in lily white nations, mm-hmm. and the rising of brown nations in the planet on planet Earth. So uh, I actually saw China actually is very being very active, and not only they are having the Belt and Road Forum with 150 nations attending. They also have offered the uh, uh, actual food uh, to the Palestinian children in Gaza just recently because, uh, excuse me, I have a listerine in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably should use uh, learning from life. Talk, yeah, I should use uh, <laughs> a listerine as, uh, as as a handle for calling. 
So anyway, yeah, uh, they actually showed the Palestinian children enjoying the the instant Chinese meal because they are self-heating, meaning that you just open the package, it will yeah. heat it up like, like, like without a microwave. So it's quite oh, wow, yeah, yeah, it's quite hilarious. And okay, the yeah. Chinese, this Chinese YouTuber says that uh, the house slaves in the Arab world is Jordan and Egypt. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess there's a lot of behind the scenes uh, what's going on, but. Uh, China has been extremely adamant. Uh, they actually told the Israelis that they consider their action in Gaza not a self-defense action, and uh, and I think uh, uh, I think very quickly uh, all, uh, the Arab ambass uh, ambassadors in 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 Beijing from all the Arab nations uh, uh, requested and got a uh, group meeting with the Chinese foreign minister. And go okay. over a lot of stuff, and uh, they're they're acting in a very collective way. And like I said, you know, as, as the brown nations on planet Earth uh, keep rising, you know, again, Belt and Road Initiative is to about building up your muscles for each nations, right? So I think uh, the number for uh, I mean, the number of days for colonizing nations to to do what the Israelis are doing is numbered. Uh, so that I think uh, we should see that as a, is a hopeful sign for th what this world is going into. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I had not heard that China had made a statement about um, Israel's actions at all, but I'm seeing here when uh, China says Israel's actions have gone beyond self-defense I am heartened to see that. The the part that I'm not heartened to see, though, is, uh, is well, maybe is that is that real deep disappointment regarding the absence of subcondemnation? I'm trying to look for exactly what their statement was. I'm not sure if that was their. Let me see. Israel's action. China not specifically announced in any public statements. It is cited with Hamas. See, this is the thing that I'm not uh, as heartened to see, though, is that. The, the story that I found this in is the Yahoo News, and the 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 framing of the story is: Did China side with Hamas and say Israel's actions in Gaza went beyond self-defense? You know, it's like China. Like that's the thing is is I I have a feeling. Well, it, it feels like good God. It it feels like that kind of framing of. If you don't side with someone wanting to commit an entire genocide, that you've sided with Hamas just by stating a fact that Israel's actions have gone beyond self-defense. It's and and it's that kind of statement. Like even if China said that, and it's a very like rational response in my opinion. It's that framing that now the the Western media is trying to frame China as aligned with a terrorist organization or yeah, aligned well, with, you know, it's, it's, they're trying to spark a wider conflict because I think in a lot of ways, they're scared of losing the supremacy that they've had as, oh, yeah, as totally. you know, uh, totally. the world's superpower. Yeah. So this is from the Chinese YouTuber. I'm sorry, Lysol. I, uh, I, you know, I think you do long uh, talks too. I mean, Lysol do not, you know, uh, uh, measure other. I mean, uh, try to. And this is what white people do. They will. Uh, hey, no, 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 no. I hear you. I hear you. But I, I should have no. said in the chat before. Like, everyone, be nice because at the end of the day, 
we're all going to have to be on the same side. So if you got your personal so, problem and, and it's part of it's my fault because some people in chat, I, I have let go on too long and just they all they have is personal beefs. And then eventually I'm yeah, like, they're right. just destroying. They're just destroying the like, we're not here because of us people like <laughs> fucking people are dying in, in Palestine. Who the fuck cares about like how long we're like, who cares about anything right now? Except that we got to keep on the same page people. And you can't let that, um, that like fucking call in brain shit start to affect us. So don't even worry about it. Everyone just appreciate be nice. It. I appreciate I'll, your I'll, contributions, man. It's it, we all got different contributions to make and it is what it is. So don't worry I'll, I'll about it. I'll be real quick. Yeah. The, yeah. the Chinese YouTuber showed that, uh, Sherman, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, a Jew. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Israeli ambassador to China both complained that China did not take a stronger stand against the Hamas. And mm. at the same time, Israeli government sent their representative to Taiwan supporting Taiwan's independence. Talk about the Oof. Oof, and uh, and, uh, and uh, so I, I, you know, I, I, I have said that uh, I'm not war is a hell. Hamas is waging a war against Israel. We do not want to see wars, period. But the yeah. bottom line is this, you know, the, you know, you are having, you know, I call it the Ted offensive in Middle East. Uh, you're going to have a see, you're going to see brutalities because it's a war. And uh, there's a, uh, and, uh, and so, but the bottom line is that I want to say is that I do see the rising of the brown nations is that irreversible. <laughs> and with the Ukraine war, the West is stupid enough to put Russia on the opposite, opposite side of theirs. So now, literally, yeah, militarily, the brown nation is not afraid. And they yeah. will stand up against uh, this, this, uh, you know, uh, 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 colonizers. Uh, you know, even you know, knowing that they can, you know, match even militarily and uh, not yeah. just morally and politically. So that's what I want to, you know, control. I think it's very hopeful, and it's not that bad. I, I understand your emotion. The Chinese YouTubers showed many, many clips where the uh, broadcasters in the Arab nations they cry on the air. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's fucking, it is horrible. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. it's, when when you look at the Palestinians' history in particular, mm -hmm. like they didn't. It's very. I don't want to say like they didn't do anything wrong, but like they are just at the the shit end of a stick this whole time. It is. Yeah. It is just. It, it's. It's terrible, and yeah. it, 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 it and the power dynamic difference is so uh, disproportionate. Absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's so mm -hmm. hard not to see them as like just constant victims in this. Um, I, you know, you know, I, I'm very sympathetic with the Native Americans. That's why when I visit the yeah. uh, General Georgia Armstrong Custer's uh, uh, tomb, I took a dump to pay my respect to a genocider. Mm -hmm. And uh, Israeli is just like a, a like U.S. The, what U.S. did to the Native Americans, and uh, yeah, and uh, now, but it's good things that there's a. Rising brown nations was, that are willing to stand up, saying this have to I, stop. I, uh, I hope. I hope. You know, the the thing that gets me is that you know eventually, like all even even, and we've discussed this before. And then I'll I'll let you go with this. But uh, you know the a lot of the 
the the race race components that we have now are direct sort of outgrowths of capitalism and and capital like power like power dynamics it, it's using arbitrary categories to divide us and so long as there are i mean one of the things that kind of so long as those categories continue to not just exist but to be used and 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 effectively weaponized I, I think we're still in for problems unless it's why we need a more humanitarian sort of like uh class-based or actual power dynamic based uh solution because the 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 problem is in uh, powers trying to exploit people and for that exploitation to take away the 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 sort of autonomy or the the ability people have to find uh meaning and happiness and growth like you know one of the things like there there's uh, i'll say this you know hezbollah the talks of hezbollah getting into this war are it's it's odd because like i don't I don't want Hezbollah to win the war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? Like, if it's Hezbollah and Hamas versus Israel, say that they did get rid of, uh, you know, like Israel or something, you know, somehow they 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 won the war. That, I don't see liberation for those people there. I don't see liberation otherwise. You know, it's like it's like in Afghanistan and, and the Taliban. It's like, well here are brown people who have now come into control of their a nation that they have more of a uh, uh, a say in and on than than America ever did but how's that working out for the people it's yeah it's, I'm, uh, I know what you're saying you said like the Niger coup you're saying you're yeah. leaving the, this country to the Niger coup but my bottom line is yeah. this the solve the it's about the manhood and a, a nationhood of that particular mm. uh, native land and native people. The greatest replacement uh, theory is that the Westerners, the whites, has the Europeans has replaced the sovereignty of a particular native lands, taking away the sovereignty of the native people. That's all they do, including the Israelis, the American uh, Israeli settlers, and American settlers. I do not consider them civilians. I, I consider them armed settlers. Period. So, but I don't mean to take up too much time. But thank you so much for yeah. Uh, welcome thank you, back. Peter. Yeah, thanks. It's going to be back. Uh, thanks for calling. All right, Terry, you've uh, a lot of people calling for you in the in the chat saying you have you have the good. So uh, why don't you give it to us? Oh, boy, a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good show, by the way. Uh, I thought you did a pretty good overview of like the 20, 21st century and, you know, just the the disproportionality of it all. Um, yeah. And it's easy to get caught up in that, I think. And it's easy to, you know, because it's horrible what's happening in Palestine. It's it's just, it's just I mean, even yeah. more so than what's been happening for the last few decades. But I think it's important to, you know, keep in mind that I, Israel really is in an impossible position here. I mean, yeah. they, I mean, j just like any, any force, they you can't win on all fronts. Um if even if you know they continue what they're doing and just indiscriminately bomb Gaza, you can't annex a place with air power alone. You need a ground force, and then that's and 
any sort of direct ground invasion of Gaza by the IDF has been something they've been incredibly hesitant to do because they know that's going to come with a, a, a high human cost. And I mean, the people of Palestine are backed up against the wall. They have nothing to lose, nowhere to go. Um, they're going to be fighting reservists that are mobilized. They, a lot of them do not want to be there. Um, they're, I mean, these are, you know, it's mandatory service, uh, in yeah. Israel. And I think that what if, if they, and they've been, they said they were going to start this on Sunday or Monday and they've been hesitant, you know, they've been hesitant yeah. to initiate this. That is one thing I've, I, I've, I've noticed, um, you know, originally when they said they had a hundred thousand troops ready for a ground invasion and then it went up to 350,000 and now they've just kind of been waiting. So you think, you think some of it, I know, um, you know, Biden came out and made a statement about how he doesn't think Israel should reoccupy the territory. Um, do you have any more insight as to, um, or, or do you think that's why that's where the hesitation is coming from? Is they don't think they can hold it effectively, or they think it's going to be more trouble than it's worth? I think it's going to expose the fact that the IDF. I mean, just despite the fact that they've been turned into this, you know, almost unreal force in, uh, like of just supremacy in the region, uh, it's going to expose, I mean, the fact that they don't, they're not will. I mean, it's, it sounds bad to say it, but they're not willing to die and bleed as much as the people of, of, of Gaza are because they have sure. nothing to lose and nowhere to go. Um, that, and I think that if there is some sort of large ground presence that moves into Gaza, that's, that's going to be when Hezbollah gets involved because I mean, you want to overwhelm your enemy. You want to attack them from as many fronts as possible. Um, Hezbollah is a a series it it, back in 2006. I mean, they dealt some real defeats uh, on the IDF and they made them withdraw from parts of Southern Lebanon. Hezbollah has only become a lot more strong since then. Uh, I've heard some Western military analysts that say they have more rockets than Israel does. Um, mm. And the, in, I mean, then people are saying, well, you know, if that happens, the U S is going to get involved. Well, I just don't think the U S really has the kind of deterrence that it once did um, in the region. I think a lot of people kind of are just, you know, because because the U.S. spends so much on the military and because we're literally everywhere, they want to imagine the balance of power as it existed in 1995. Um, yeah. They, they don't want to reckon with how in the significant ways the world has changed since then. All the new military capabilities that Iran, Russia and China have and North Korea, for that matter. Um, and. Here's the thing, even if even if the U.S. gets involved in a significant way over there, I mean, I think there's a lot of people in the Pentagon that know that's a death sentence because Hmm. in a conventional war, sure, the U.S. could beat Iran, but that's not going to be a conventional war. It's going to be something like Iraq or Afghanistan, but 100 times worse. Yeah, it would. Yeah, yeah, it would be dirty. Yeah. What position is the U.S. in domestically now? Can we take that kind of unrest and. And even in the in Russia and China don't even really have to get involved 
uh, directly with the conflict, because if the U.S. gets involved, then they just they're already pretty much, I mean, rivaling the U.S., China economically, Russia militarily. The U.S., you know, stretches itself even more thin on another front a major, in a major way. It's game over for the U.S. in terms yeah. of world influence. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. God, that's a good point. Yeah, and I, I, I also like Dane's point here too that you know a lot of the U.S. budget for military is really just a transfer of wealth to military subcontractor industry, so it's that doesn't necessarily necessarily translate to a competent sort of force. I mean, my my only concern here is America. Look, America has shown time and again now that it is not going to go willingly into that night of not being of, 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 of giving up its, its, its position as the world's only super, superpower. Uh, I don't think the, the politicians in charge are taking that well. I don't think our sort of neoconservative roots are taking that well. And I think that in the way that Lysol talks about the Samson option for Israel, I think of all the major Western or of all the major, like just powers in the world, I think the U S is also, maybe I'm just, I'm thinking about too much, but I think the U S is not above taking a Samson option. I think, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that, Terry? Do you think, do you see the U S if it's losing its position as the, the world superpower, do you see them, trying to goad us into war because I see a lot of that in the way they talk about China and the way that they talk about uh, just, you know, Taiwan. It, it is, it's almost like we're trying to get into a bigger conflict, but then I see something like their response here with, uh, you know, it, this could have been an opportunity to uh, use the same tactics that uh, we did post nine 11 to, goad uh iran or goad the public into supporting a war with iran but it seems so far that we haven't done that so i don't know what what do you make of all of that do you do you do you see us taking a samson option or do you think do you think we're recognizing that the dynamics of the power have changed and we're more willing to accept it well that's a good question i mean of course nothing's impossible and i mean I, it just be, I mean, the worst could still happen and it, at any time, really. But that's the scary part. But I think there's kind of a rift in, you know, the, so, the ruling class in the U.S., whereas you have some people that are just fanatical down with the cause, like a lot of people in the State Department, your Victoria Newlands, your Anthony Blinkens. And then there's people who actually understand the military a little bit better from, you know, from a practical, uh, actual capability of force perspective. And those are the kind of people that are saying, look, we need an off ramp with this, this, uh, Ukraine proxy war. Right. Um, we, I mean, and and we, it's, we're talking about, you know, like how a lot of the military industrial complex is just the transfer of wealth. I mean, that's how you can get, uh, the U S which spends orders of magnitude more than Russia and they can outproduce shells. Uh, they can, they can produce more from a real, you know, industrial capacity. They, they, they outmatch the U S in many ways. And 
I mean, you you do like like yeah. Henry Kissinger yeah. was saying, um, look, this this whole the, the war in Ukraine is, has created, you know, what we are trying to avoid throughout the Cold War with our with our uh, containment doctrine, which is to always use the Soviet Union and, and China against each other. And this is only, you know, if they don't I mean, if they don't have an actual military alliance, it's, it's a de facto military alliance. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Did did you uh did did you serve or something, Terry? Or where do you uh where does your 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 I guess your military knowledge come from? You kind of give me that vibe. I didn't serve, no. But uh, I mean, okay. you can anyone can really read these you know these policy papers that are put out by by arms funded think tanks. Um, you people can read you know the statements that the Pentagon press briefings and a lot of times, you know, even though they have a spin that they're giving, they, they, you know, they expose what's going on. And like there was a last January, um, the, you know, the director of uh, allied forces in, in Europe basically said uh, at a conference that, like the scale of violence in in Russia and Ukraine's it's it's unimaginable it's it's something that no nato veteran has experienced and he, he's that was his way of basically saying like we don't i mean we don't have the force to respond to anything like that um and so i mean you can get the if, if you read between the lines you can you can get a lot of information from sources that you i don't know are ignored for for various reasons. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, when the revolution comes, you'll have to be one of the, uh, military advisors then since you, you understand how to read between the lines, but, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you calling in, man. I, 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 a lot to think about actually. Oh, one more, I guess one last thing is, uh, a, a lot of people have been wondering, um, why, you know, why now, why did, why did the whole, the October right. state, yeah. Um, yeah. like pa- paragliding across the wall, all that crazy sure. shit that we saw, cause they were wearing GoPros. A lot of them were wearing GoPros. Which um, is so fucking wild. I know. Uh, <laughs> but so like, why, why is this happening now? Uh, I mean, there was this, this symbolic uh anniversary of the Yom Kippur war but i mean right. this is something that yeah. must have been planned for for years given given what they were were able to do um what's been ongoing for a while is saudi arabia normalizing relations with israel and i think a lot of people in gaza viewed that as a death sentence for their cause basically yeah. if, if that goes through um fully then it's pretty much, I mean, that's one of their, I mean, main, I wouldn't, I'm not sure if you allies would be the right word, but I mean, people, the people in Saudi Arabia definitely give a shit about what's happening. Maybe not the government, but the people that live in Saudi Arabia definitely care about what's happening to people in Palestine. Um, and since, you know, this happened, uh, normalization has of relations have kind of been put on hold between them too. And yeah. I mean, that's something to pay attention to also. That's a great point. That's a really great point. I think, I think that's probably right on the money actually. Um, yeah. Well, um, could you give some suggestions of, of uh, some of the reports that maybe 
people here can read to uh, be able to get some of this information that that you're getting now? Or yeah, I'll know? try to put some stuff in the chat. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Uh, since I, I do think, especially something like this, I, I didn't even want to try to tackle it just because there. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, there's so many different uh, aspects of it and things that you know. What should I skip? What should I not skip and everything? But I, I think um, that was something I, I definitely want to talk more about. Is you know the why the, the I guess the, the the geopolitics of it the 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 Saudi Arabia part is actually fascinating and not something I had considered or I've read anything on so I'd really like to know more about that so thank you again for for calling in and and, and providing that Terry I really appreciate it yeah no problem always nice talking yep always a pleasure all right take care. Okay, what? How are we doing on time? Two sixteen. Okay, so I'm gonna to try to get through some of these other ones a little quicker, uh, so I can go and eat dinner. But uh, Jenny, thank you for calling in. Welcome back to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How are you? Thank you. Our strategic oil reserve is really low in America, and I think one of the side effects of whatever comes in the coming weeks, perhaps, could be Americans having to learn for themselves what will happen if we can't put gas in our cars. That remains to be seen. But um, it's something yeah. I'm deeply concerned about. Yeah, I mean, like, I just got back from France and Amsterdam, uh, where I experienced for the first time, really, walkable cities. And I got to say, we fucked up here. <laughs> we, from from a, a car standpoint, wow, we really fucked up. Walking around a city with all the little shops and just like eating some pizza or getting some coffee and stuff was awesome. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay the strategic oil reserves, but man, like uh, at some point, I guess what I'm trying to say is too, like, like maybe that will be a problem. Um, Especially with some of the, I mean, I guess we've been depleting them for some of the stuff that happened with COVID and then some of the stuff that was happening in Ukraine too. I I mean, there's a lot that the U S has been depleting lately that it probably shouldn't, but um, you know, maybe this is also a come to a come to Jesus moment to plan out our future better. Uh, I don't know if we can continue on the same way we have been forever. Or is there is there something specifically as to why you're concerned about the strategic oil uh, reserves? Uh, it only would provide three days worth of oil if we were to actually use it. So it's not like we were, you know, thinking yeah. of it as being this great thing that would save the day. But it is concerning that it's zero. You know, I I've been thinking about the Jewish people a lot during this past week and. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that there's not going to be any real peace in Jerusalem until Jesus Christ comes to the earth again. And so while we can help and, and pray and do things to try and, and support both sides, and I think we should support as much as we can. And I think a you know, position of neutrality for most Americans makes sense, but, um, yeah. You know, the, the Israelis are the original indigenous people, you know, starting 3000 years ago before the diaspora, 
they had their own religion, their own language, and then they were sent out into the world. And for 3,000 years, what they've said is next year in Israel, they always plan to go back. But they kept their religion, they kept their language, and they're unique among dispersed peoples who tend to go to other places and assimilate. But you have these Jews who for all these thousands of years now have held on to their faith and their ancient practices and now they're back in Israel and it's messy. And so I, I don't have any solutions. I don't have any real insights as to how things could be made better, but I'm just watching it all, kind of aligning it with what I know about what the Bible says and hoping for the best. Sure. Yeah, and you know, I, I respect um, people who, uh, you know, have faith and, and who, uh, you know, believe in, in, in God and, 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 and that, uh, I, I tend to believe, well, two things, the two things I would say here are, I, I don't think a, I don't think a, a belief in, I don't think being indigenous entitles you to, uh, a place, generally speaking. I, I don't think that's a good I think that could be a recipe for disaster. Uh, if that were the case, I mean, everyone's from somewhere else to some extent or another, whose claim is above someone else's. I mean, can can the people of Mesopotamia go to Israel now and say, hey, we were actually planning on coming back here before anyone else. So now you guys got to leave. I don't think that works. Um, And that's one of the reasons why with the Zionist movement, while I understand, I do sympathize with the position that Jewish people were in on the world stage, because there's no denying the history of persecution that they've, that Jewish people, people of the Jewish faith have, have been under. But that being said, I don't think, I don't think no one's entitled to, to, to really anything. Um, and then the other thing I would say is the Bible can say what it says, but it also says to render under Caesar, what is Caesar's and what is God's, uh, what is God's to God. And when it comes to diplomacy, when it comes to how we actually position our society, when it comes to government, that's Caesar's, uh, whatever judgment for what we do here, uh, that will be God's. But the idea that the Bible says or, you know, that there will be conflict in that region no matter what does not absolve me or us of our job as people of a government to try to resolve it. I think if you're seeing some kind of atrocity, even if it's foretold in, in, in some kind of Bible or, or otherwise, it is your duty. It is your duty to do what you can to stop it. That is what that is what that is what I was brought up to believe. I agree. At least in and my watching faith. the Biden administration fan the flames of war the past ten days has just been revolting. It's not just him. It's not just him. I'm not just talking I mean, about look, Biden. I'm you, talking, you remember I'm talking about yeah. the State Department, 
they are trying to get World yeah. War Three off the ground, and it's revolting. It's not just him. It's not. It's not. I remember when Trump was in office, and he talks about bombing Iran. He talks about going to a war with Iran. I wonder. I've been. I've been really thinking about this, Jenny. Is like, how would things be different right now if Trump were in office? And honestly, honestly, I. I can't say whether or not we'd be more likely to be in a war right now or not, because that opportunity to go to war with Iran and now to have an excuse to do it, would Trump seize on that? Maybe. He wrote a very compelling and piece I see people on both sides. He wrote a very compelling I, 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 he, piece of uh, Newsweek this morning that really kind of, he doubled down, kind of tripled down on his past positions. And he believes that none of this would have happened if he had stayed, pre- stayed president. He always believes that, though. That's Trump. Trump's Trump's whole pitch is everything would have been better if I was in office. Trust me. But that's not what the history has borne out. And frankly, I don't I don't have faith in someone who has uh, shown me what they can do while they were were in office. And that's that's the thing is like it's we don't know every politicians are always going to say that. And the the response here, I mean, like, look it's not just the democratic administration, Tom Cotton, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, all of these people. No, we support Israel no matter what. Everything's terrorism. No nuance. No, it's a, it's, 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 it's really disappointing. You're right. You're and right. It those, is, those guys uh, are gunning for a war know, too. I think so. I mean, the, the surprisingly, I, I don't know what Matt Gates's response has been here, but he's been someone who surprisingly, at times has shown at least some principles as to basically at times has shown at least some principles as to being anti-war. Now, I don't know being anti-war now. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and I don't trust any politician as far as I can throw him. And, uh, you know, I can't throw him that far. So <laughs> he's definitely taken some um, hits from the right. And ironically, ironically Marjorie Taylor yeah. Greene has come out anti-war which that's kind of wild yeah yeah it's a weird world but uh anyway I, I appreciate you calling in jenny and um you know always appreciate your perspective thanks for taking my call you have a great night yeah for sure. yeah you do the same all right take care okay maria welcome to the fred hampton Inn and suites how are you thank you much and I'm not one to keep you from dinner so I'm gonna be as brief as I can although I'd like your inputs as well um I I'm thinking a lot of it I'm really really disappointed in the continued narrative of the trust us I mean you would think the American people would be so wearisome of just trust us, but, you know, with Tuesday's hospital bombing or, you know, however you want to frame it, there's there's too many unknowns. And for Biden to come out and say, well, we have satellite imagery that proves that it wasn't Israel. Uh, and the immediate reaction was, well, okay, provide it. And it was just like, no, you have to trust yeah, us. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And there's there's a lot of reason to be skeptical. Uh, we just don't know. 
we simply don't know at this point. So anybody that comes out with an absolute answer to it, you know, fuck you. I'm not trusting you for shit. And Amen. I wanted to ask how much of all the warmongering and war hawking do you think is the U.S. posturing for the 2024 election? You know, I think it's a good question. First of all, I, I your instinct not to trust, I think, is is uh, good and also earned uh, for the, the reasons you've already kind of articulated, right? They tell us one thing, then they refuse to provide the evidence for it, and then it turns out, oh, the information has changed. Uh, they've they've uh, abused that trust to put us in certain diplomatic situations and to convince us of things that we never would have gone along with had they told us the truth. It is an abuse of the trust. Uh, it's a the boy who cried wolf, only now we're dealing with nations who cry wolf. Uh, so I... I, I, I very much agree with that. The one thing I'd say about how much does this have to do with, or how much are they positioning for the 2024 election? That's a tough one because I think, I don't think anyone, I mean, Israel did not see this attack coming, even though Egypt potentially may have warned them about it a couple of days before. Uh, and, and the United States apparently did not see this attack coming. So this is sort of a situation where, they couldn't have. It doesn't seem like they planned for this to occur. Now, how they're responding to it now, I haven't. Maybe there's some kind of posturing that's been done for the 2024 election. Trump's certainly doing that. I've seen Trump talk about he's given some. You know, he's he's very good at having his finger in the wind, and and figuring out where people are kind of leaning with things and. You know, he's given some light criticism of Benjamin Netanyahu and and the likes, which indicate that he's trying to use this crisis to have, you know, some kind of uh, to give his campaign some type of boost. But that is what all politicians basically do. Uh, they never let a good crisis go to waste. I'm sure they will try to spin this in a way to show that only they should be the one in charge here. I'm sure Biden will... If, you know, we get to debates, which it doesn't seem like he's going to debate because we barely live in a democracy. Uh, but I, I'm sure he'll try to spin this as, look, we need a steady hand at the wheel. We need someone who can be seen as a serious, you know, world leader. There's a complicated topic, and I've been here since the beginning. Like, of course they're going to do that. They're politicians. But as far as do I think... You know, do I think this is something they planned for, or they're they're happy from like a political standpoint? No, not really. I think it's something that they're. It's the crisis that they have to figure out a way to spin in order for them to be more electable. But I will say this too. I think Biden right now is probably actually more focused on the actual. Like oh fuck, what does this mean, and how do how do I govern through this? Then how is, does this affect my campaign? First, and I don't mean that as like that's not like a moral judgment or like a good for him. I think that it's things are so fraught and tense right now that he's trying to 
hold on to the wheel to stop it from spinning completely out of control. But I bet you that once he does get control of that wheel, he'll park that car directly into his campaign speeches, uh, you know, and, and, and use it like that. So does that make sense? It does. I, I just think the reactions that they have are, I I don't know, just designed to have a certain political reaction. And also, I, yeah. I, I totally know what you're saying, that every, every politician has a Band-Aid for what we know is a bullet wound. That's yeah. every politician imaginable, at least in the United States. And last thing I wanted to point out really quickly is that, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Norman Finkelstein, and he's been sure. illustrating how, you know, in, in Palestine, they're actually, it's a prisoner population, and that it's actually not possible for uh, a prison guard being Israel to act in self-defense when, yeah. you know, when yeah. the prisoner is trying to free themselves from unjust captivity. Yeah, I think that's fair. So. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, I do think that's fair. And Finkelstein would know better than me uh, with a lot of that stuff. So, well, I, I just thought that was one of the more profound things that he's been talking about. So, I'm sure. I'm gonna let you get back to what you're doing, and thank you, thank you for talking to me. I hope you enjoy yeah. your dinner. Yeah, me too. And thanks. Uh, I, the pleasure is all mine, Maria. Thank you for calling in. Oh, what a nice call, everybody! Isn't this nice? We're having a nice little time. Uh. Brady, I'm going to go ahead and bring you up. Uh, let me let me see here. How do I? Okay. And uh, great. Brady, Brady, welcome back welcome to the Fred Hampton and Suites. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, I am curious. I mean, you're familiar with a racist trope that, you know, Israel made the desert bloom. And so I'd like to ask. I'm not. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, oh. Yeah. No. I have. I have. I have heard of that. The idea that like um, somehow all of the peoples and all of that area in the Middle East was just complete shit until the uh, until exactly. Israel got there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so sure. uh, I I just realized the other day too, just thinking about it, I was like, dude, the reason they were able to make the desert bloom is because they took the drinking water. From Palestinian people and fucking <laughs> used it to fucking water their crops. Of course, there was a fucking miracle, like patting themselves on the back for it. Fucking assholes. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, yeah, that's fair. That's, I, I like that. Yeah, I, I just realized. I just realized that the other day, like as a gardener, you know, like okay, these motherfuckers. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I actually had a friend of mine in college, you know, we were having this conversation and he's like, well, you know, you know, before we went over there, like the desert was, uh, was really, uh, there's nothing there. And then when we got there, we started making it beautiful. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, at least they're making the desert beautiful. And then like all these years later, I'm like, what a stupid excuse, you know? But, uh, uh, I'd just like to ask the Jewish people, like, how the fuck do we make the desert bloom in Texas? If they could, if they could just tell us idiot goy how to make the desert bloom in texas i would appreciate that because it's not easy 
but I'm pretty good at it. I'm just one goy, but I'm pretty good at uh, making stuff grow in Texas, you know. I've been building gardens here for a yeah. minute. I built some of the most beautiful gardens in Texas. I just finished putting uh, soil on a giant Hugel mound in my community G spot today. So that's yeah, we're all, that's sick. We're all new well, planting that this weekend. Um, and uh, but yeah, I just want to point out the hypocrisy there I, and uh, the, the ridiculousness of this, and uh, also point out that Israel is eight thousand six hundred something square miles big. That's that's the amount of space these people are fighting over. And uh, yeah, smaller than New Jersey, right? Yeah. And the majority of these uh, Zionist settlers came from Russia, which is fucking huge. You know what I mean? Like there's more than enough space for them in Russia, you know, like and uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Russia kind of sucked for them at the time that they were there. Um, That's a fair point from, from, (laughs) you know, but an ethnic cleansing standpoint. Like, look, I, I, I think with with Israel, like I understand the compulsion for the thought of we just want to be safe somewhere and have our own home. I I totally understand that from like, I can sympathize with that, especially given a history of what was being done to you in different places. But that doesn't justify you kicking other people out of their homes and doing the same thing to them. That's, you know, that's my biggest beef with Israel is is that um so it's it's like you said you know um, they gotta take the water to make of someone else to make their desert bloom and that's that's the problem yeah and uh well i think back in the day during the Belfort declaration which was i mean essentially britain who owned palestine like did britain have any rights to palestine whatsoever when they made that declaration that they're going to help zionists move there I think at the time there was I, I, I see that's what I don't know. I think they were they had some I think back in like 1947 or something somehow they had more of a right in Palestine. That and and then if I remember right there was some kind of a couple of conferences where Britain tried to get a Palestinian or to write for a Palestinians to be able to attend the negotiations or something, and they weren't allowed to because at that time the U.S. had kind of bumped them out. But I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's the answer. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if, if today, if we were to present them with like, a, let's say a 9,000 square mile piece of land in Texas or something, if uh, that might serve to highlight the hypocrisy of the situation you know, <laughs> or Florida, you know, they'd be yeah. right at home in Florida. So, I mean, but that, that's it. I'll pass the joint. Okay. All right, Brady. Well, thanks for calling. And, uh, I, uh, appreciate the, uh, the insight, especially the desert, the desert blooming part. That's very funny. Uh, Gator, uh, welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. How are hey, you? man. Not bad yourself. I'm doing okay, man. Doing okay. Um, I just flag up that, um, basically, I think, and, I, and as time goes on, I'm more certain of this, um, that Israel has essentially walked into the biggest political and military trap in its history. And it's already and it's already made the mistake of entering the trap. And it has politically fucked itself by putting itself into a corner of its own making, which it cannot really get out of. And um, hmm. 
basically this is the strategy of Hamas and whoever's backing it. So um, what's in long story short, the biggest mistake Israel has made is to say, one, they're at war, two, to start using the uh, language of Yoav Gallant and Danny Ayalon and um, uh, what's his name, uh, Isaac Herzog, who have, all, who have all done the biggest, stupidest thing they could ever do, which, which almost no country has ever done before uh, since 1948, which is to admit their intent to commit genocide. And that's why you're seeing in the, right. in the press something that you've never seen before, which is that Israel's name is clearly put into articles which say, well, aren't they committing genocide? Said the Norwegian foreign minister, said the Spanish social rights minister, said the UN, said Human Rights Watch. Never seen that before. Even, even though yeah. on this scale, even though Israel has pursued a... Um, a specific policy about how it treats the Palestinians and the Palestinian territory. And what this is going to add up to is the, the trap now is that it, it, Israel knows that going into Gaza is a military trap. It cannot win there and it will be decimated and the world will get to see how weak and poor the IDF actually is because it's not as good as people think it is. But also the political trap. Certainly, yeah. The political trap for it is that um, it cannot reverse on its objective of destroying Hamas because if because it's declared that objective, and if it backpedals, it right. is weak or it shows error or a lack of judgment. But that is such a polarizing and damaging objective that that this is why you've seen that its allies have initially said we unconditionally support Israel's so-called right to self-defense. And then you've seen people go, mm. but it's got to be within international law. And then Israel went and did its mad genocide statements. And then people have gone, okay. Uh, uh, and, and, and then what you've seen is um, that Israel now has, has crossed the genocide line. There's no, there's no, there's no right. ambiguity now that what it's done is committed war crimes of combat and genocide, right? And it's just a question of who tries to sort of really um, go to town on holding it to account. But what you've seen yesterday was the big tell. Netanyahu has switched from a solo stance of Israel's pure strength with just political backing to literally using the rhetoric of the war on terror, Iraq, Afghanistan, Right. Yeah. Yep. By saying yep. this is we are fighting Nazis. You're either with us or against us and you should join us and basically help. Now, what he's doing there is admitting he's fucked up because he does not want to have blood only on his hands. As long as he can get some blood on Biden's or anyone else, the Brits or anyone else, what happens is he knows that that means that a pro nobody will come after him because they would have to go after the others. Right. But when he's on his own, he's 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 running the risk of carrying the can, not not necessarily in the ICC, but literally being hounded out of town internationally because he's a fucking war criminal. Yes. And yes. So so what you're going to see now is an increasing the the corner of Israel tightening faster and faster. Every single bomb it drops inside a civilian rich environment 
is the most expensive bomb you'll ever see used in humankind apart from a nuke. Mm. Because if you want to kill one Hamas terrorist or tell the world you have in that environment, you can guarantee you've killed 10, 20, 30 civilians to try to get that one guy. And this is why the borders are closed, right? Because Egypt and Jordan, even though they are US sympathetic, right? They know, they know one, that they don't want a repeat of the NAC, but uh, they don't want NACPA two. Nobody trusts Israel yeah, on that. Right. You'll never get back yeah. into Palestine. Two, they don't right. want to afford a refugee crisis of tents on there in the Sinai and all the risks and the security that goes with that. But three, they can pretend to be neutral, right? But what they're really doing is making warfare in Palestine the hardest it can be for Israel by keeping the civilians in oh there. Oh my God. Right? But they don't admit it, oh and nobody God. can accuse Egypt of doing that or Jordan because they never said it. They just said, we can't open the borders because we don't trust Israel, which is legitimate, and we can't handle the refugees for money or security, which is completely legitimate. But those Arab nations are actually supporting the strategy of Hamas and the wider Arab nations. Now, I'll just, I'll just oh finish on God. this. I'm sorry to go on so long because it is complex, and I see. No, please. This is this is fucking okay. incredible. See, this please is a very, keep going. On this movie, this but... is much more involved than people think, and it's much, much, much more strategic. It's a, it's one of the most beautiful real time strategies you will see. It doesn't matter whether you support one side or the other. This is this is the art of political and military strategy playing out right in front of your face. But there's one thing that people need to understand, and it's this. Terry Terry mentioned something about. Um, uh, an underlying reason for things, right? There's something that I was raising here the other night and I'm, and I'm now investigating more thoroughly, but it's this. It is, the, it is foolish to ignore the importance of biblical prophecy on the Arab, some Islamic and biblical prophecy or, or Torah, Judaic, Judaic prophecy, right? Yes. Because this gets to the heart of why it's the Al-Aqsa flood and the Al-Aqsa mosque. If you search for, for the New York Times, go into the New York Times, look for Al-Aqsa, you'll find Western reporting that tells you over the last three years, Jewish uh, activist settlers have increasingly in Ramadan and other times invaded the mosque and essentially ha hassled the shit out of the Arabic Right. Um, worshippers and they've been as aided and abetted in that with the by the israeli security forces but two weeks before the before the attack the this uh, hamas attack those settlers literally did the most invasive form of this and the problem is this people want to believe that what i'm about to say is is, is utterly fringe but my research is showing that it isn't and it's the third temple movement essentially the third temple movement this attempt to rebuild the temple on temple mount at the destruction of the al-aqsa mosque and the rock of the dome has now achieved serious political legitimacy and commitment to the point where according to former british diplomat and mi6 officer alistair crook that that the groups involved in this are backed by individual it's it's penetrated the knesset and it's penetrated uh, the the actual administration and they've had political meet and um, political meeting underneath the mosque the the temple the mosque sorry not long ago where they said we claim this we are going to do this and they've brought in five red heifers in line with this prophecy 
Now, if you if you search mm. Western media for this in the, in the New York Times, for example, you will find recognition of some of these events, but the reporting stops. It does not attempt to tell you the prophetic side of the importance because what this means, and this is according to Alistair Krug, and if you know who he is, you will take him seriously, is that the Arab world understands what the Judea, what the Zionists to try and the Third Temple movement are doing, and it is essentially a, a, a now or never moment for the Arabs to resist this. They are literally this is literally the clash of two religions on a fundamental issue, and that's not reported in our press because imagine what you would feel if tomorrow you woke up and the headline said Zionism has kicked off the holy war right you would shit yourself yeah. because what you essentially think now is that this is world war three on a religious basis and it kind of is but people aren't quite saying it that could, yeah so just watch the space and i'm sure you'll sure if you look around you will see an increasing amount of positioning around this i i never want to to um uh, uh downplay the significance that religious belief and prophecy and getting people to believe this kind of stuff has had in uh, warfare, in the history exactly. of warfare. You have entire wars, which look, you need soldiers, you need people to buy into a war. There are multiple reasons, there are multiple ways to do it. But making people believe in the religious significance in the in something being a holy war is literally how you get uh, groups you know uh to suicide bomb to 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 do all of these things that would be completely irrational and completely self-destructive but to to get them to uh do the things that you want them to do for your own aims so i don't i don't think at all that it is crazy or 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 um far-fetched that a that's uh, a nation would either promote this or uh try to get people to 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 believe in this thing uh in order to get them to support it i well, mean and when you say we kind of are in a in a holy war oh please go ahead go ahead just bear in mind i'm not saying that the Arabs are using it actively as a reason to Correct. have kicked off. What I'm saying is that the, the, the Zionists have pursued their prophecy yes. first, right? And in recognition of holy shit, they're going to actually do this. The Arabs have said, we have to resist it. The, the Zionists of, of the, the Zionist Third Temple movement are essentially the progenitors of this. And as you point out about prophecy, the prophet, thing about prophecy is this. Some prophecies tell you that an exogenous event is going to happen, like God will appear, right? Other, right. other prophecies are about the collective or, or individual behaviors of persons, right? Well, basically, if, you, if, you, if, if enough of you believe in one of those prophecies, you can begin to exactly. adopt the behaviors that bring about the behavioral prophecy. Not the God, you can't make God appear, but you can all turn up at a mount and then basically have a fight. And then say, look, it's the prophecy. It's like, no, guys, you're you're doing this. You're choosing to make it happen, right? 
exactly. and that and that is that is exactly. one of the aspects of what this is what's going on I'll, I'll, i know you uh, somebody else is waiting so i don't want to take up any more time i'll stick an article sorry not an article a, a, an interview with alistair crookin honestly if you listen to nothing else about an a total overview of this just listen to him and go from there he's a former mi6 um officer 30 years british diplomat and he's been heavily involved in the Israeli-Palestine issue and on a credible basis, right? And he, and he starts with the Third Temple and, and points out how, how, how much more serious it is, but how obviously underreported it is. But when you look around, you will find it, right? But, you will, but I'm now trying to get, I'm trying to now get at the Arabic side of this because uh, the English side is very poor. And then, and then he goes into many other issues, and and he's he's a, he's a good guy, and 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 I think that that is a useful thing for anyone to carry around in the head because you're not getting any truth out of the IDF or the Israelis about this. They right. are pursuing the agenda that you know that is in their doctrine. So thanks a lot, mate. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I I, I appreciate this. This is a fantastic, Gator. Anytime. Uh, wow, what a hot take and a very interesting one and and one that i i i cannot wait until he posts the link to to kind of uh track that down some more but man fantastic fantastic stuff thank you fahim what's going on why don't you bring us home baby <laughs> hey um i know you gotta uh, have uh dinner but uh there's a lot of stuff that i want to talk about uh this so do me a uh, favor uh, by next time you talk on this uh topic you have my number just uh, text me a little bit ahead of uh time and just say hey i'm going on going to be going on air and uh uh i'll uh, jump in uh, I, I by the time i joined in because uh, i don't get notifications uh from uh colin sure uh, so if you don't mind do that and then i'll uh, jump in uh, uh early uh, next time but e either way great to hear from you great to see some uh, familiar uh, faces but uh, yeah uh, uh, just uh, uh, text me in uh, uh, next time uh, so, absolutely uh, that's it now for now uh, yeah, i don't want to take uh, away from your taco munching time <laughs> it's actually a uh, 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 some what is it samoa what do they call these uh, samoa samosas samosas yeah mm. some oh okay from uh what Devon Street or Devon Street? <laughs> Something like that. It's, it's good. <laughs> okay. So, but right. anyways, uh, uh, by uh, no, let's uh, chat uh, soon on this. For sure, and I'll I'll text you if there's specific things you want to go over. We can do it like we did yeah, the yeah, yeah. Ballad of the Bullet show. Yeah, definitely, definitely, we'll do. Perfect. All right, Fahim. Okay. Always a pleasure, Thanks, man. Brother. All right, take care. Same here. Talk to you soon. Bye. Yep. All right, bye. Uh, you guys are the best. Thank you for taking a uh, a difficult topic and um, making me hopeful that uh, there are so many people that are looking at this and trying to figure out, I don't know, just trying to use our different uh, abilities and skills to to look at it from all angles and figure out how we can respond. Um, I hope I did justice to those of you who, which are most of you who know a lot more about this topic than I do. I, I hope I did a little justice in trying to explain some of the background, some of the reason why we are where we are. Uh, 
and to really try to, I guess, put into context, I guess, some of the reasons why this violence is broken out. Uh, thank you so much, Gator, Terry, all of you who came here and gave even more context to uh, why this is happening, to why this is happening now. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, I can't, I have more resources now too, to, to go look for more stuff. Um, I got rumble up and I got uh, us faces catastrophe in the middle East. Uh, the link from, from Gator here. I can't wait to watch that. And once again, if you're wondering what you can do, let me again, post this link with uh, that, that other people have put together with resources that you can read movements. You can get involved with money. You can donate to, to help, uh, the people in Palestine who are suffering uh, and, and uh, hopefully we can actually, we can prevent this from becoming the even more of a humanitarian tragedy than it already is. Uh, everyone, I'll, I'll post this episode uh, as soon as it's done loading, uh, check the links, check everything. Um, really great stuff. Uh, love you all. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time at the Fred Hampton and Suites. Take care.